Hey everyone, uh, this is just a quick note from Ian to say a huge thank you for downloading and listening to the show. This is our final review episode of what's been an incredible season supporting the bees. We really hope you enjoy it as much as we enjoyed making the show and as much as we've enjoyed following the bees this season. Uh, we go through, uh, review the season, break down the games, we go through all the players, have a lot of fun along the way and answer some of the fantastic questions that you've given us to ponder. Thank you so much for sending them in. We hope you have a lovely summer and look forward to seeing you at the start of the new season. Hello everyone, thank you so much for joining us uh, on this episode of Beastpod. Uh, my name is Ian Botchwood. I'm de- delighted to be joined in person for the first time, uh, all three of us in the same room at once. We're in Hitchin, Hitchin away, we're at Mem's uh, by Mem and Charlie. Mem, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm very good, very good. How about you? Very well. Charlie, on a scale of one, where one is the best, to Luke Garrod in the 121st minute yesterday, how are you feeling this afternoon? I'm feeling unbelievable, mate. Um I've got to keep our nuts down there. We're in bandit country at the moment. <laughs> we are Hitching indeed. Away. We are indeed hitching away. Um, it's been it's been quite a season, guys. Uh, if we're honest, I think when we first started chatting back in August, I don't think it would have panned out uh, in this way in our, in a lot of my minds, and certainly for us, Mem. For the first time we've been doing this pod, you had us. Uh, finishing higher than your prediction of seventh, which is unbelievable. <laughs> Charlie, I don't know where you were at the start of the season. But probably higher than me. I think I said tenth. Tenth. I yeah. think I had us about seventeenth. So. Had, had you transferred to us yet by then? No, I got the call up midway midway through August. Oh, okay. So on the loan market. Yeah, yeah. You got me in before deadline day. <laughs> don't worry. We, we are very rigorous at Beast Pod at checking and tracking the amount of uh, predictions and how accurate they are. Um, but look, I guess it makes sense, guys, to, to start the season with with how it ended, um, and that obviously was. Um, a week or so ago um, at the hands of Boreham at the Hive. Obviously, all three of us were there. It was a frustrating afternoon, or frustrating year, I should say. Um, you know, decent crowd, but just another playoff defeat for us to add to our uh, growing catalogue. Um, starting with yourself, Charlie, just talk us through the game. What, what were your thoughts? And I guess, how did you feel kind of coming out of the stadium that evening, having lost that semi-final? I was confident going into it because we, they, they hadn't beaten us this year. We beat them at the Hive. We drew to them away after you know years of having bad luck against them and I actually surprisingly wanted to play Bournemouth instead of Bromley I wanted to play Bromley Bromley would have formed team they'd come to us and given us a good game a few weeks before and me and my dad went to Bournemouth Gateshead the Tuesday before just to watch Bournemouth and we came away from that game Gateshead won 2-0 and we said you know I'd fancy us against them and um oh. It was just you can't you cannot go two 0 down to Bournemouth. You can't go one 0 down. You can't I mean, go one nil down. They, I think it's something like this season. They they have only lost once when they've gone a goal up, and that was against yeah. Wrexham. Yeah. So I think that first goal goes in in and, the manner it and does. Wrexham away as well. Yeah. Um, you can't do it. You just can't do it to yourself. The game on Sunday against Notts County in the playoffs that they played, um, it was almost a mirror to us. The two 0 and Love scored just before half time, and then Notts County come out second half, score straight away. So it was exactly like. As ours, I did think when Pritchard scored that, I did think we were going to come back. Yeah. The atmosphere was electrifying. The hive erupted when that went in. And I remember just before the second half started, I looked at my brother and said, if we're going to get a result here, we need to score before 75 at yeah, least. Yeah, yeah, so when yeah. we then scored in the 52nd or whatever it was, I looked at my brother and went, this, this is on here. But to be fair, even after I think we scored that goal, I... I, I thought they managed, and I, you know, you got to give credit where it's due to Boreham Wood. They managed the game so well because, apart from the Kabamba header, which is maybe about twenty minutes to go, yeah. there wasn't another massive chance for us, right? 
in that game. I mean, the scramble at the end, I didn't really see what happened with that. But I wouldn't say it was a massive chance, but Ashmore made an unbelievable save from the Canu when first half when Canu cut in. That looked like it was going top corner. Um, but no, listen, it was it's devastating. I feel like we've come up short in two big games this season, you know, away at Gateshead and there, but it only you only learn from these things, you know, so it's it's a positive if you want to look at it like that. Man, what about yourself then for the Boreham Good game in particular? I mean it was frustrating. I don't think I saw you at half time and was just saying, what, what have we done? We seem to have thrown it away again. It was almost like a carbon copy of the Gateshead game where you kind of kill yourself before the game even starts. Did you feel that it was kind of a fair result based on the night? Was there anything that we kind of didn't do that we normally do quite well? Or was it just one of those games that Barnett seemed to have? Well, I, I felt that we were the ones playing the football. But as, as you say, you don't allow Boreham Wood a chance to get a foothold in the game. And actually, we came out of blocks in that game we, without creating anything too clear-cut. And that's one of my big gripes a bit about the game was that we didn't really create anything too clear-cut. Um, but my it, the problem we had is as soon as we gave Bournemouth those two goals, that was it. We were right up against it. And then the thing about Bournemouth is they play a style of football where is once they get their nose in front, they're not interested in getting a third or fourth and compounding the result. They're more interested in, that's it, they dig in, they dig their trenches, and then that's it, they defend for their lives. Now, actually, if we'd scored an equaliser, the way that Bournemouth, we've seen now with Bournemouth against Notts County and against Wrexham, um, is that they don't have the game plan to basically come back again if they if you, if you you basically get back in the game. And that was what frustrated me more than anything was we didn't recreate really anything. Um, we also unravelled ourselves. So I felt that a lot of the things, the problems we had was self-inflicted, be it a defensive error for the first goal and the second goal, be it some, you know, probably some decisions made by Dean Brennan that probably he, if he thought about it in the cold light of day, he thinks actually maybe that was that unravelled things. So I felt like when we went to, um, when we went to a, like to try and play a 4-4-2 or 4-2-4, that unravelled the whole shape of how we built and it meant that for the last 20 minutes, Bournemouth had a cigar. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you both mentioned, like, I mean, Charlie's already mentioned the um, the game yesterday, or the game yesterday against um, Boreham Wood versus County. And I remember I said it on Twitter at the time, if you look at how County got their equaliser in the last minute, it came from, and it, you know, no one's going to go back and watch that game unless you're a very sadistic Barnet fan who wants to enjoy Boreham Wood losing again. So maybe me. But like, if you, <clears throat> about 10 minutes or so before the, the goal, it was 80th minute or so, Notts County trying to get back into the game. And there was an instant where John Bostock was on the ball. He was kind of obviously on the ball the whole time. I know you watched the game, Charlie. And like, he basically went for a ball out wide or a long pass and it didn't quite work out. And Jody Jones had a go at him. And you could see him mouthing John, you know, on the on the footage on BT Sport. And it's like 95th, 96th minute. And what happens in that game is it's just that calmness. It's a pass out wide to Jody Jones. And then he doesn't shed it in the box first time. It's just really calm. He waits. Genuinely had the ball at his feet. Must have had four or five touches to get it into the box. And then hits a low flat ball into the box, uh, which obviously the, the guy heads home. Uh, I can't remember it was Aidan Palmer, I think it was. And it's like 2-2 two, two and they go on and win it. And the point is to beat teams like Boreham Wood, who are so good at defending their box, you've got to be a bit creative on the ball. You've got to take a few more risks with the ball. And I felt in the first half in particular, we were just way too direct. Um, and it feels, you know, it, it will feed into what we're going to talk about later on about Smith. But I don't know about you, Charlie, but it just felt the second half in that in that playoff game, we just started playing out with the ball. Akimo started stepping in with it more, creating those overloads. And it seemed like we were just a lot more confident mm. in creating chances. But that's what that's what they want, though. Like, when you play Bournemouth, they want you to do that. They want you to lump it because they've got Bush, they've got Firefield, they've got Evans all these massive rocks who are over six foot three and strong 
and even even Harry Smith and Harry Smith was getting bullied against them. Yeah. I, I thought Harry Smith had a very, really poor game against Bournemouth Tuesday. Um, they nullified our attack. They stopped him from doing what he does. And if we had just got it down, got it on the floor, you know, and like you said, was patient like Notts County, they didn't panic once yesterday. No, sorry, I just want to step in because actually my brother was at the game and he pointed something out to me and actually I realised that she was really right. So it felt, he his observation was that Harry Smith basically got himself into a into a mindset of that he had to war with the two with the defenders, and actually, rather than focus on his own game, it felt like he was focusing more on his war, um, and so it meant that when the ball came to him or when the ball was coming, he wasn't interested in what he can do for Harry Smith. He was interested in well, what about I've got to fight these two guys, and and it was it was it was an interesting perspective I thought because it meant that he I think they slightly had unfocused him by you know, getting him to, you know, play their game really, rather than him thinking, well, what how, what can I do to hurt them? They were, they were having wrestling matches, like when the ball was nowhere near them and you just saw them like on the floor together, him and him and Bush or <laughs> but, him but and mate, Bush and Evans, they love that. That's why they play football. Like, yeah. they, like I genuinely think like Chris Bush, uh, Will Evans and Fifield, their best game of football is when they don't touch the ball and yeah. they can just run around and like wrestle and I'd they love, love it. I'd, I'd love Bush or Barnett. I, I think he's quality Bush. He's rock, yeah. And if you look actually going back to the, the first goal, you know, he, his, his sort of crossfield ball that put Potter one-on-one against um, Unlove yeah. was, was excellent. But I think just going back to Barnett for a moment, like obviously we, we've had, you know, a disappointing game and Charlie, you mentioned it actually in, in your introduction there about the two biggest games of the season, we've fallen up short and, and we've actually done it in quite similar ways, mm. you know, insofar as being at half-time staring down the barrel. Two goals a, behind. Yeah, two both. goals behind, yeah. as you say, a poor performance where we've been too direct in both. Do you feel that there's something there about the kind of... And interesting, the final point to that is that it's not as though we've got an incredibly young side. You know, obviously we've got players that haven't necessarily been in big playoff yeah. games before and are definitely overachieving. Do you think there's something about how we approach these big games that's kind of like almost like we become too low risk. So we're like, we're going to play, take no risks um, it, with the ball and therefore we end up actually ironically creating a lot of risk without it. Or mm. what do you feel? Do you feel there's any similarities between those two in terms of how we set up for them? I just think it's one of those things where, like you said, Bournemouth would have been there three times in the last six years so that they had that experience and they got a lot of the squad there and Garrard was there. I think we all know what happened to Gateshead. Brennan's even come out and said that was a mistake. Like he should have prioritised that game over the York game on the Monday. Everyone knows that. And I don't think because of that, because we lost that, I think there was an added bit of pressure in the playoffs that came with that because it was like, well, we've messed up on the first time. This has to work out. But, you know, I don't want to get too cheesy, but I do honestly believe that, you know, those those two games happened like they did for a reason. And I believe it's all part of the journey for this team and the and the management. And I think next year, whenever we come up in a big game like that again, we, we would have learned from these two matches. Well, speaking of the journey, Mem, let's start by perhaps going through the season. Um, we've got in front of us some lovely colour-coded charts, courtesy of yourself, uh, and uh, colour-coded both on Excel and by hand. Um, Mem, do you want to perhaps, for our listeners at home, give us sort of uh, a description over the mic of what, what it is and how you've broken down our season to discuss this afternoon? Yeah, so it's really interesting, actually, because my gut instinct was this season essentially was broke down into four four pieces. And when I went through the results, it, it, my, my recollections actually did seem to fit that quite nicely. So for me, there was the opening in uh, Efron 
era when we basically went top of the league and Efron was playing before he got sold to Peterborough. Then there was the kind of the period where we really sort of slumped and we were conceding goals. And actually, a lot. interesting enough, a lot of people made a big point about how many goals we conceded, but I actually think the majority of the goals we conceded were in that, that run where we lost like 7-5 to... Um, Wrexham. We had the 5-0 at 5-4 York. 5-4 at Dagenham, 5-0 at York, 4-3 uh, at Waze. Obviously, we won that game against Maidstone, but we still yeah. were, were four, conceded three, sorry. Yeah. So it was a good 20-odd goals that, that were in that period. But then, so And then what I felt was the turning point of the season was the South End at home, where we got absolutely taken, we had our pants pulled down and properly slapped. And um, and in, in that South End game, I genuinely felt like, I think that it's the Dean Brennan and John Dreyer went, went back to the drawing board because after that, we seemed to have a different game plan. And then we had... Well, just to, just to pause you there, man, before I come back to you for the, the third point, but if you have a look at, you know, just that run up to that South End game there, we looked at, as we, we just talked about the Wrexham game, we looked at, um, you know, the Dagenham game, the York game, that was conceding essentially, like, you know, not 13 goals in three games. But then after that South End game, uh, as you as you said, like it's sort of that run of clean sheets. So you've got obviously the Altrincham two 0 win, the Oldham two 0 win, Chelmsford, Torquay, etc. What do you think happened in that spell then that led to that change? Well, I think I think we changed our system. So that, I read somewhere that somebody kept insisting people have been insistent that we went back to we we were playing a four three three. We started the season in a four three three, and then what happened was during that period we were getting picked apart in a four three three. We were wide too open, far too open. Um, and then what we ended up doing, we came out with this kind of essentially like a three six one formation, but it evolved. So one minute it would be five at the back, one minute it'd be four at the back, then it'd be three, and it and, it, and then it would almost like you had a, a bit of rope going from the right wing back all the way around through the back five out to Idris, and they would move around um, like you know like together, and it made us really fluid and we went on I can't remember how many games it is but the third phase of the season was that really long unbeaten run um, where we just basically just started racking up the points um, and then from there then I've also put then the point where Harry Smith comes into the team where if you look at the results and you look and, and I know Ian you've picked out a few um, interesting observations from that period as well so there's four four very distinct periods of the season we'll take them each in turn then I think let's go back to the start of the season Charlie because we yeah. came into this season I think with I think a little bit of optimism. I think, obviously, we had the interview with Dean and we were impressed by what he had to say. I think there was some positivity with the season ticket offer as well. Recruitment at times was actually a little bit underwhelming for some people because we had, obviously, a lot of players that had played with with Brennan in the past. But we, we got off to a good start. Um, and if you think back to those early games, what was it about this side that you saw straight away, Charlie, that made you think this might be a slightly different season? Or or was it only really when we went on that sort of third phase of the season, that run after South End, where you thought, actually, this is a really decent side? No, first first four games, first, well, how many was it? One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, first six games, if we're going to go by the first, that first block. Um, I remember the first game of the season, we had Halifax and Halifax had got to the playoffs the year before. And I remember thinking this would be pretty good, a pretty good, uh, you know, to see where we're at. Uh, turns out it wasn't because they went on a terrible run. I think they were the bottom three or something halfway through the season. Um, but no, I, I just, I, I backed his, I backed Brennan's recruitment. Um, a lot of the players that we signed were National League players anyway, who, you know, had stood out in games where we played them um, in the seasons before. Um, but like Mem just mentioned there with the, where we had the bit of decline with, you know, how are we getting picked apart in the four, three, three? 
um, you start to sort of worry. And I think there was players, I don't want to call anyone out here, but there was players like um, Musa Diara, who in a back four, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult. And I think that was one of the reasons why we started leaking goals. Um, but once we got all that sorted and, you know, we brought in a couple of bodies, uh, yeah, we'll get to it. But that's, that's, when, that's when the run began, you know. It's interesting, like, looking back at the start of the season, like, how interesting a narrative of a season comes based on the teams you play. I mean, if you look at the opening games, you had Halifax who had a poor season, Gateshead, Yeovil, who were really struggling. I mean, Gateshead, I think, are a great side, but at the start of the season, they were still very much finding their feet. Mm. Then we had Woking Chesterfield, who were going to be up there. And then three sides, you know, Eastleigh and Aldershot, and Dorking, who have been sort of down that lower mid-table. It sort of gave us a bit of a platform to move up onto. But men, when Efron Mason Clark obviously went off to Peterborough and has become their player of the season, so well on Efron, did you feel that that was going to be a kind of a pivotal moment for our playoff hopes? Or did you think, actually, there's enough in that early phase for us to really build with? If I'm honest, I wasn't sure how much of a difference that was going to make. He did start very well this season, because um, I think he scored a couple, about two or three goals. Um, at the early start of the season, and obviously he was replaced by Carnu, who was a complete un- like you know an unknown to all of us. Um, what I th- what I found very early on was that I felt that the midfield was very open, and a lot of the midfield actually we had the midfield three of Ryan de Havilland, Harry Pritchard, and Dale Gorman are, are ultimately three first choice centre midfield players. But what I felt felt early in the season was that the three of them. We're leaving us far too open, and actually, we were being too nice as well. And I think we commented on some of the podcasts where I felt that actually teams could play through us, and we weren't looking to break the game up like a Boreham Wood does, where they not, you know, where you you go, you suddenly go on a counter, and somebody takes you out, takes a hit, gets a yellow card, and then everybody gets behind the ball. So I felt we were being too nice as well. It's very easy to play through, but I think the difference was also another thing as well in that phase where we just coming out of that phase with Efron, we started to get a lot of injuries. And I don't remember remembers though. We we had to go and get, we had that get that guy who was the Gibraltar guy who was, I've forgotten his name now, um, who came from Blackburn. And oh, Louis Annesley. Yeah, Louis Annesley. So we had him for a f- couple of games and we were essentially, there was a bit of a makeshift quality to the back four, uh, to the back, you know, the, the defence at that time as well. So I think that also coincided with that really bad phase that we had where, where, we, where we were struggling with yeah. bodies and defence. I mean, speaking of like bodies and physical changes, obviously we lost Efron at that stage, but we also had a few players in the side then who have not featured as much since. And one of them obviously is Sean Shields, you know, who at the start of the season, I think we were at the Dagenham game away. And I remember in the first 10, 15 minutes, I was thinking, bloody hell, like we were, we were looking, you know, really red hot. You know, I think Shields scored one and made one for Kabamba. He's one that sort of fell away. And it's interesting because if you look back at Dean Brennan's pre-season interviews he was making a not a big deal but he was and he always does it with players like bigging them up a little bit but I think Shields featured reasonably prominently in his plans he fitted the mould of the sort of player that he said the interview was going to go out and get which is someone who is lots of experience at National League level can deliver really good quality set pieces and can create on the ball and is you know not injured I think he played pretty much every single game for Weymouth the season before if you look back at, at Shields Charlie and even after he got dropped out of the side like he you know, there were still calls for him to be playing up until really sort of December time. Um, how big a, a decision was that and how much of an influence do you think that had on our, on our sort of ability to kind of get a little bit more solid? I love, I love Sean Shields. I think he's brilliant. Um, I think it wasn't, I don't think it's his fault. Um, I think he is, he is his own player. He, he does what he does. Um, in a 4-3-3 with a more solid back line, he would, he would have thrived for us. Um, like you said, he created and scored one at, 
Dagenham the week week um, before that he scored at Chesterfield. Um, Eastley as well when we were on the telly he scored that scored that brilliant goal. So I feel like it, the, our defensive issues were Sean Shields' downfall, but not his fault. But we had to change the shape, and you know he he did. You know you saw him. He, he had a run in the team in that um, change of shape as a wing back, if you like. But and he was working his socks off. He was obviously clearly trying to stake his claim to you know start games, but. You know, it obviously just wasn't working for Brennan, him as a player in that role. And I think it's sad, but, you know, it had to, he had to just move on because he wasn't going to get any game time. And so we came out of that run, Mem, of that sort of tricky run with the Wrexham game, the, you know, even the Maidstone went at home, York City, Dagenham, into a run of just, like, it's almost an unremarkable, like, change around in terms of defensive shape. And we've talked a lot about the sort of the hybrid wing-back system that we talked about there with Carnu and with Winter and then getting the three centre-backs in there and just being very, very flexible with, with how we set up there. Um, in terms of, like, things that really made a difference, I think one of the things that we also began to do was, and we've done it since the start of the season, is make the most of set pieces. Um, and I was just wondering, Mem, in terms of that run that fed into it, we talked about the shape, but we've also got to, I think, give a slightly bit of credit to the guys that began to sort of pick up those really important goals, you know, Pritchard in particular, Carnu, uh, even Winter from those sort of, those angles there. Was there anything else apart from the shape that you felt that Den- Brennan did in that sort of mid-spell, starting with sort of Altrincham and running almost through uh, until sort of start of February that, that made us a lot better, really began to push up even towards third place at that stage? I just, I just felt that it, it sort of slightly coincided with us having a bit more, um, having a bit more stability in our back line. I think that was a big part of it, to be honest. But I thought Ben Winter came to the party that time. Well, he'd gone for. He had a very, I thought he had a very underwhelming opening sort of uh, ten games of the season. I agree. Yeah. And then post sort of South End. Um, with that change in shape, we we started to see the real bit the best of Ben Winner. And what I thought was interesting as well is it the intelligence. It also highlighted the intelligence of our defenders because I think that a lot of that was built on the back because by, by being so fluid, and it wasn't even a case of being out of possession. It's more in possession because what would happen is is that Ben Winter would would bomb right on and go right down to the side to the line, push their wing back back. And then Collinge would then suddenly come in at right yeah, back. Like an inverted. Yeah. And then the guy who plays centre back would, would sit in the, the guy who was playing at the centre of the three defenders would sit in the middle. And then Jerome Akimo would go to left back. And then Carnu suddenly would be on the left wing. So suddenly you've got you've gone from having this five uh the five suddenly the like a U shape, but the U shape is stretched right from the wings right to the back. And then it contracts again the U, like when when we didn't have the ball. And it was, and it, and it, what I allowed, and also what I noticed as well is Ryan de Havilland started to play a bit more to the right of that of that midfield. Gorman and Pritchard seemed to play together quite in the centre, and it what it seemed to allow was as well was Kabamba to just roam that front and he had all the space to roam which created space for second man runners so we had people like Ryan de Havilland and Pritchard could make late runs because Kabamba was working the line and we'll come to this a bit later as to why I think the Harry Smith Kabamba partnership didn't work because um, I think it's I think it's there is an actual mechanical reason why I think that there's a difference between pre-Harry Smith and and post-Harry Smith in the way that the team functioned as a as a working unit. We'll come to that in a moment, but I think one of the things, Charlie, just going back to that defence in that middle phase as well, is that if you look at our back four, with the except or back 
three, five, four, whatever. With the exception of Musa, physically imposing-wise, he talks at the start of the show about the Boreham Wood centre-backs and you, you sort of Bush, Evans, Fifield. Collinge uh, and Akimo in particular, Collinge played 37 games this season, uh, Akimo played 45, apart from the, with the exception of the Dagenham game, right? They're not the most physically imposing centre-backs. No. Um, and then, you know, obviously Winter is a slightly different character of player pushing up there. But to what extent do you feel the, the foundations of that defence were built on those two? This is obviously before Potter came in, on the work of Collinge and Akimo, both players who, Collinge coming from Dover, hadn't, you know, pulled up any trees there. They went down, I think, to over 100 goals. And Akimo, who was signed as a player coach and was, you know, yeah. mid-30s. Do you know what? When, when, it, when I think that really started, and I, if I remember correctly, Brennan actually said it in his interview after, and I noticed it from the stage stand. It was on the 12th, 12th of November, Oldham away, which was the third league game after the South End defeat. We just got our first clean sheet at Altrincham, and we went Oldham and won 2 0. And you could see Collins and Nakimo that game. They were just the communication they had between each other and their positioning and you know how they just talked to each other. You could really see it. And I think after Brennan said in the post-match interview, he said Collins and Akimo were outstanding today. And they were. And that's when it started to, you know, that's when we went on that ridiculous run. Um, so I think, you know, that spine of them, uh, you know, and Walker behind them, that sort of diamond at the back of the triangle, um, I think was the, you know, it's a huge part. It was a huge part to play. It was the, it was the main, you know, architect of our, success with keeping clean sheets yeah so then we, we find ourselves sort of um you know i think the a couple of games that stood out the chesterfield home game three nil where we we looked you know a side who could absorb a lot of pressure and then we're just um, i mean kabamba at that point was i think hitting oh, his form of the season that that performance was yeah. unbelievable we went to east the away who i think at that stage had one of the best home records mm -hmm. with the exception of the top two in the division one two nil uh scunthorpe away again i think they'd had at that point the the new ownership coming in yeah. another outstanding mature victory and then we at that is around that time that we bring in some additional recruits into this into the side and um, starting first of all with Harry Smith and it should be said you know to start with Harry Smith I don't think anyone can fault his effort application and his output you know the guys come in for for 12 games has scored seven goals those of us that we were just talking before the show about the goals he's scored often from nothing uh, and such an incredible threat but it did coincide with a slight dip that began with the the four. Well, I say the dip began itself began with the defeat against County, the four one, followed by the two one Orchardham defeat. Sorry, the two one Torquay defeat, the four two Orchardham defeat, the win against uh, Aldershot at home, but then defeat against Oldham at home and the defeat against Woking. Oh, sorry, against uh, Dorking. Apologies. Mem, you are someone who's obviously been looking a lot at this Smith-Kabamba debate. It's a bit like the Gerard Lampard one, for those of us that can remember that in the 2000s. Just talk us through it. It, it, it. What happened? Well, I mean, there's obviously, let's add a bit of context as well, because at the point where we suddenly, the wheels came off a little bit when we when we lost to Notts County, actually in Notts County, you could see the wheels come off in front of us because we went out of the gates in that game and we absolutely battered them for the first half an hour all over them, everything, all the best of what Barnet were in that unbeaten run was in that, encapsulating that 30 minutes. But the players were on their feet. We were literally, the players were absolutely shattered. And I think it was quite clear to um, to Dean, because the next couple of games as well, we, 
you know, it was quite clear that the base we needed to get some fresh legs into the side. So obviously Dean has gone out looking for quality players and he got and, he, and, and basically Harry Smith has fallen into his lap. But I think what that did was he tried to then make it so that we would go back to almost like a four to play Kabamba from the right and then Carney. So we play go to a three at the, at the top. Whereas a lot of the, for me, the best football we played was when Kabamba was a lone striker, roaming, dragging people around, but himself just going finding space. And then the midfield group cavalry come in, Carnu, Pritchard, De Havilland, all coming in late, even Ben Winter coming in late into the box, take, attacking the spaces that were left behind. But what suddenly happened is Harry Smith is not a particularly mobile player. And because he was standing still, a lot of the time he he's basically a target it's very easy for defenders to take their position off him. And what happens is, is that they don't get stretched enough. And Kabamba, we were playing him from the right to start with to try and inco- trying to incorporate him. And I think eventually um, Kabamba was just, just suddenly his, his form went off a cliff. And Kabamba was, I think he realised I've got to get Kabamba back in the centre. So towards the end of the season, we then tried to play him together. But my feeling on it is, is that, Whereas Kabamba wants to roam, but then all of a sudden he's kind of finding that he's having to look at flick-ons from Harry Smith and become like that little man as part of the little man in a little man, big man combination. And it just, all the best stuff that what we, you know, what we did in that unbeaten run of, you know, of last, you know, third man runs of flexible positioning, midfielders coming in, people, people coming out to in runs and attacking spaces were all being slightly unraveled by the fact we were just too static as a side and we became a bit too traditional. It was almost like a traditional three, five, two that we were playing towards the back end. And, and we lost a lot of the, of the surprise element of what we did before. Yeah. And I think it's, it's cause I remember actually, it, I think it's true. And I think in hindsight spot on, because at the time it still felt as though we could still deliver some really outstanding performances with them both on the side. I think South End away, which I know Charlie and I, we were both at, yeah. they played really well together as, as a two. But, the stats speak for themselves with regards to the fact that, you know, since the introduction of Smith, Kabama scored three goals. Uh, and that's over a spell of about 15 games or so. Um, and that one of them was in his first game. And then even more, as we were just saying before, you know, for those of you at home, you know, in the final seven games of the season, the league games of the season, we scored twice in those seven games and Smith scored both of them. And it's like almost, it's almost unfair to me because I think he, it's in no way critical it's of Harry Smith. Because yeah. like, I don't want in any way for me to say, what more can you want? The guy's got a goal ratio right, of one right and two. at the wrong time. Yeah, he's the right it, one exactly the wrong time. that. And I think he's actually spot, like, everything's spot on about him. Like, I, you know, I, I cannot, I love the way he's aggressive and physical and strong. It just feels like it wasn't quite the right fit. Just to play devil's advocate, and I have thought this for a while, but I'm now going to voice it. They, yeah, they don't work together. I, we've seen that. They don't work together. However, I think if we had Smith from the start and Kabamba didn't exist, we didn't know who Kabamba was, I genuinely think Smith would have come out with more, more, than, more than 19 league goals this season. As, a, as the front, but, as the but, sole front man. I, I, guess, I guess the question then is, would we have had the season we've had with Smith over Kabamba? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, it's, 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 it's you've like got to remember, like remember, it's the... It's the, it's the it's Isaac McLeod question, right? Like, yeah. Isaac McLeod, great. I mean, it's, un, again, another unfair comparison, although I quite liked Isaac. But, like, you know, it's, it's the individual versus the collective. And that's, that's, that's the question I have, really. Well, look, it's going to speak volumes, because Harry Smith's, Harry Smith's had league offers. 
So he's going to go. He's going back into League Two. I've heard even some League One teams are after him. So that just speaks volumes. He's obviously, a, you know, and look at some of his goals. He scored three of some of the three of his headers this season. Three of some of the best headers I've ever seen. Dorking away, maiden head away. And um, what was the other one? He scored another one somewhere. To be fair, I mean, all of them, even the Solihull Moors Solihull one at home, one, the yeah. back stick, like he's a, he's, a, he's. I think no one is in doubt of Harry Smith's ability. It's, yeah, I feel so. I feel so harsh that everyone says, "Oh, Smith's got." I don't want Smith. Everyone approaches goes, "We don't want Smith." But it's not his fault. That's it's the thing. Fault. It's not his fault. The thing is, is that ultimately is. Is 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 like look. Remember, I, I, I go. I, I try and use, I like to use this, uh, use this sort of example because I think it's it's a perfect example. Fernando Torres in a Liverpool counter attacking side was unbelievable in a counter attacking side. You drop him into Chelsea, who play a more possession based to territorial game, and he's half the player. Sometimes a really really brilliant player just does not is not. Is not the right fit Work for a team. At the, at that time, but yeah. the, the thing, you're right. It's a nice analogy. The thing that's even more that adds a little bit of an extra layer to this one is the fact that obviously when Torres went to Chelsea, he barely scored. I think Smith probably scored more goals for Barnet than in 12 games than, than Torres yeah. did in 50. It's like Smith was not only he was doing everything right in so in regards to he was scoring goals and he was giving us that extra threat in the box. And when we had kind of Cropper coming in. And those long throws, like it added a whole new dimension to what we were able to do and, and threats against teams and the ability yeah. for having a big target in those nasty games where we were struggling. A, a couple of other things, though, just on this point, and I'm, I'm, I'm open, as an open question, perhaps starting with Charlie, is and it's almost another devil's advocate thing. Man, you talked about the fact that Smith essentially meant we lost a bit of that fluidity with the front, front players. But to what extent was that also due to the absence of Winter, who I think was actually at that point becoming one of our most important players? And if you think about the Boreham Wood Boxing Day game, yeah. that was where we were given, like the ability to change games was based a lot around his positioning and his goals and stuff like that, and his, obviously his leadership on the pitch. Like, because obviously without Winter, we also lost the ability to play that wing back and obviously brought in Cropper, who I think is, is, is a very solid player as well. But Charlie, do you feel that? That was also another part of the jigsaw that saw us just begin to tail off towards the end of the season. Yeah, we got we with the flow. We were in a flow, and it stopped. It just stopped all of a sudden. Um, on, if we just on winter, and I mentioned earlier, I st- he started off poorly in my opinion. There was so much hype about him. Um, so, you know, in the preseason last year, everyone was saying that was the best signing. Uh, he did improve, and he did get better. But I still don't think we've seen the best of him. I think if he can get fit in the summer and have a proper preseason. Um, you know, I think there's a lot to come from Winter. Um, we did miss his, um, you know, the flexibility we had to bring him forward when we were, the Bournemouth away was a perfect example when we were behind in games. Um, I feel like with the Smith and Kabamba thing, like, you can't, once Smith had come in and started scoring goals, how could Dean Brennan not play him? You know what I mean? But then at the same time, you can't not play Kabamba either. So I think it was a catch-22 for Dean Brennan where he was like, I've got to play. I've got to play both of them. It's, it's a conundrum. The thing is, yeah. you've got a conundrum. You've got a 19 goal striker, okay, and you've got a geezer who's, who seems to be scoring a virtually a goal yeah. a game. I know, I know, it's terrible. But the thing is, also, we've got to bear in mind in the context of this. So this is not as cut and dry. And it's the thing is, what is that somebody listens to this podcast in whatever in a in a year's time, or whatever, doesn't under and and sort of go, why are you you know why are you slating Harry Smith, blah blah. It's the fact is, is that. There was all these moving parts. There was players on their knees carrying injuries. We were trying to rotate the side as well. Moyo so, was, was terrible. 
yeah, well, he barely played. I mean, the fact that he was brought in, and we, we, we tried to get sign him before, and then we eventually did bring him in after a loads of whatever negotiations with his with his agent, and, and, and he's come in, and he's... I, I, I've been so underwhelmed by him. That's why Smith came in, because Brennan realised Moyo couldn't hack it. Just, just on this, interesting, you mentioned a second point there, which I think is equally as important, and that is the fact that... And we'll look at some of the underlying stuff in a moment is the, the physical exhaustion. Because this wasn't just a season where this was, I think three things began to catch up with us. One of them was the fact that we were playing the trophy games as well, which were not only an extra 90 minutes, but also an emotional driven 90 minutes. We got closer and closer to Wembley. Like that Gateshead defeat, it was 92, well, sorry, 102 minutes of football, but it was also the emotion of being so close. The Maystone game, a penalty shootout, it's a huge emotion. The adrenaline's constantly up and down. So there was that. Then we have the fact that actually we're not a side that have ever played with a huge amount of possession. And Dean said it in the interview with us back in, in, um, in uh, July 2022. He said there's a certain amount of running targets that if we hit whatever it is, 10.5, whatever it is, the number per player per game, our chance of winning go up exponentially. And we just began to look absolutely knackered. We began to look absolutely knackered. And the other thing that then compounded was having Smith in there, which, again, not his fault, but it naturally meant that if we were under a bit of pressure, we could just smash it long because there was a decent chance he'd do a great job of, mm. of at least affecting that first phase, even if it meant that we were so tired that Pritchard and de Havilland couldn't necessarily run up and get on that second ball. So I just think the, the other thing as well is it's like, to some extent, whether or not Harry Smith would have come in, would it have been the case that we would have had that bit of a fall-off towards the end of the season because of the fatigue side of things? I don't know if that's something that you thought, Charlie. He scored. It's such a difficult thing to talk about. You could argue without Kabamba, we wouldn't be where we are. But just going by the last third of the season where when Smith came in, he has won us so many points. It's ridiculous. The Torquay away, he scored twice. I think that was three points. Um, if I just yeah. grab that. Torquay away, he scored. It was three points. He scored... Um, the, in the Halifax game, in... in Solihull game was another massive one for us. Solihull the Maidenhead well. game, Maidenhead. I know it wasn't as important, but the Solihull game was a massive game for us. He was, his header got back in the game against the Gateshead yeah, as well. He's, pop, he's popped up with so many goals, important goals, that I think, you know, we it didn't work because of who... It's just bad timing. It's bad timing, and I'm sorry for him for that. No, but just moving on from that debate to the, to the fatigue debate, man. Like, do you feel that the way we set up meant that we were always going to run out of legs at some point. Like the constant Saturday, Tuesday, plus the trophy, plus the fact that we weren't spending a lot of time with the ball necessarily. I think Barnett, and again, we'll dig out the stats before the start of next season, but we were somewhere in the bottom third, I'm very sure, for completed passes per game. Do you feel that that would have inevitably have caught up a bit like Bielsa's teams. It never to be catches up with you at some point in the season. Yeah, no, I, there is a, an element of that. And I think there is also an element of, we just didn't have the profile of player in the centre and midfield who can sit there and um, and dictate the play like a Bostock could. Because someone like a Bostock can take the sting out of a game, slow it down and then, put, and then, and then play from there. The other thing as well, I think as well, is that I think Dean had decided what his, essentially what his first 11 was. But the, the second core beneath that, the, sec- the group, second group of players, the Flanagans, um, the um, the Powells, Woods. the Woods, the Hall, oh, no, no, none of them, none of them stepped up to a point that, that meant that, that. So what it meant was that there was always a drop off in quality or drop off in energy and quality 
when he when he was forced to play these players, which meant that he felt he didn't. I don't think he felt he could trust them. So that's that's another problem is he couldn't rotate. He wasn't rotating because he just he felt that the quality would drop if he did that. And it's interesting, like you mentioned that, that if we go through the the appearances, one of the things again he said at the start of the season was about getting players in there who could play a significant yeah. volume of games. Yeah. So you look at Walker, you know, essentially forty five games this season into one league games, um, missed that one game against Oldham. Collins thirty seven, Akimo forty five, um, and then he gets the midfield right. You talk about Pritchard and, and Gorman, basically the engine room of the side forty six for for Pritchard, um, forty one for Gorman, De Havilland forty three. Like there is just a drop off, and then you look at the the the, the kind of and obviously Kabamba forty three as well. Carney thirty eight. He came in halfway through, but that core obviously were there the whole season. But then it's the drop off to players like you know your Revens. Half injured, a good player, I think, in some ways, but half injured the whole time. Um, you know, even like Woods, 20 games, Connor Smith, like obviously there in a different role, six games, Powell, nine. You know, Powell must have been one of the highest earners in the club. So do, you know, do you know how many minutes, general minutes Powell played? I checked it out. Go on. I think it was 357 minutes all season. That's basically four games of football. Good riddance, honestly. Good riddance. <laughs> we'll get on to that, but good riddance. I mean, but the, the, I think the, the general point is about, it's not even about the individual players, but... The backup we, the, the, the backup backups, we have. The backup we have isn't there. And yeah, I, I don't know what your thoughts were on that and, and whether that could have been something that was addressed. I think, to be fair, we did make some really smart signings in the middle of the season. Finley Potter, I think, was outstanding when he came in and, and did a brilliant job for us. Armstrong, I know he came slightly later, was another very good signing. Um, I'm sure that, brought a bit of quality. Yeah. Armstrong still Armstrong managed to get 29 games under his belt mm. for a player that wasn't supposed to be ready this season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, and he put in some performances as well, I he'll, thought. He'll have a big part to play for us next year. But just bringing it back then to the, the final part of the season, because we, we did say a lot that, you know, it was a fantastic season. I think the highlight was when we won that sort of that made made uh, United game in that trophy. We were sort of at that point safely in the, well, safely in the playoffs. We were on our way to a semi-final. And then it did sort of really pull away in the final part. I think we actually gave some great performances in the final run of games against the Wrexham and County. You know, we were undefeated, I think, against the top seven at home all season or top eight even it would have been, um, which is fantastic. But it was that two goals in that final seven games and it sort of felt that while we were kind of getting those points and getting those results, perhaps the momentum and the fluidity and the ability to put teams away was beginning to run away from us um, a little bit. Um and I guess that takes us into the playoffs. But if we if we look back over the season as a whole, Charlie, if we were sort of assessing it on a, a scale of one to ten, mm. where where would you kind of put it? Um, and yeah, give us your justification behind it. With ten being the best, ten being the best, yeah. I'd, I'd say this season's been an, an, uh, a nine out of ten. I'd say, considering where considering where everyone thought we were going to be, and you know, we're eighteen months ahead of schedule. I not on the pod, but I said you know I'd be happy with tenth. I think we've had an amazing, amazing season. Um, you know, playoffs, a, a semi-final on the trophy, finished fifth in the league, which, let's be honest, take Notts County and Wrexham out of the equation because they're just an anomaly. It's, it's ridiculous. Finished third, if you want, behind Chesterfield and Woking in that sort of real league. Now those two freaks look like they're going to be off. Um, so, yeah, I think it's incredible. And I'm just so, so, so excited. Like, look at that retained list. We were talking about Tom Tom Williams from Notts County uh, Stats. Um, some of you may know him from Twitter. But he did a um, tweet the other day with our retained list. And he sort of did a pitch diagram and all the players that were there. And with our retained list alone, he said, this is already 
without any additions, this is already a top seven side by by the looks of things. So we can get him four or five. I still think the people, we're going to go on to this, but I still think a few players are going to leave. If we can get three or four more in, you know, I'm so excited for next year. Yeah, I think, uh, Mem, what, what do you would you give our season out of out of ten and give us a reason why? I'd give it an eight. Uh, I thought it was good. I thought it was very good. I thought it was very good. And I think what's what's what I think is positive for Dean Brennan. And look, I did. I managed to cut the season up into four parts based on so. And there's very four distinct, in my opinion, four very distinct phases of of how we played. That gives a lot of data and gives a lot of information to Dean to understand how can we get through a season and how can we play manage a season at this level. We've got to remember, this is Dean Brennan's, that was his first full season at this level. Because the previous season he came in late from Harry Kuehl and he didn't play a full season at Wildstone. So this is the first time he's played a full 46 games in a season. So he will learn tons from this and he will learn and he will basically be looking next season, okay, how can we do it so that basically we can that period that that, that that period yeah that we had where we were winning games for fun yeah. and we didn't peter out at the end of the season how can we do it so that we don't lose our legs in that final run in yeah um so there is so much to be positive about and there's so much here as well that that Dean can learn from and it's not been a bitty season where we lose you know win two lose two and blah 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 it we've had f- distinct phases and he can look at that and he can look at it and go what did I do in that period yeah. and really learn from it and 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 try and put plans in place I think I think myself I would I would go with a nine as well, um, and I'm normally the most negative. So I think that's that's a, you know a reasonable sign. It's been a good season. I think to get the, the, the sadness for me comes in the fact that we've lost. I think in in, the, in a season where you're going to have Wrexham and Notts County, who to my mind are the two best teams in the National League that I've seen yeah. myself, yeah. if I'm being honest. I know there have been some other very strong teams. The, the Chester side from back in 2003 are very good, but I think these two have been the best two. And I think the quality of these improved. I think promotion is always very, 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 very difficult. I think the sadness has come from the fact that the two biggest games of the season, we didn't give our best account of ourselves. And I think I could easily lose to, you know, I could accept us getting beaten 3-4 at, at Notts County in a playoff semi or even losing 2-1 to Notts County in a playoff semi. But to lose at home to Borenwood is just a shame. But no no shame there. And as I said, I think it's the third time they've gone through that process, the first time that Dean's gone through it. The Gateshead game was really tough, I think in part because I, I, I just, in my head, underestimated Gateshead. And, you know, I thought actually we got there and that was just devastating to be 3-0 down. So I think, but the nine out of ten for not just the performances, but the togetherness. And I know we sort of joke a little bit about it, like Dean's sort of like buzzword, isn't it? Togetherness. But it's felt like a true season. And some of those moments yeah. with those players, like Walker in particular, and they just seem like such a great group of lads who are really in it together. And it's been the first time I think there's been that real rekindling of the connection. You've seen some of the old guys. I, I'm not um, as very well connected with a lot of the older Barnet fans, but like or the group that were more to the Underhill and then didn't want to go to the Hive. But I think to see them kind of re- yeah. rekindle that passion has been fantastic as well. The only like slight caveat for me is the fact that if you look at some of the underlying data, and a lot of it actually, we have overperformed in terms of results versus performances or underlying performances. There's been a lot of games where Walker's been the difference. And that's great. And that's his job. But I just think like it's been the upper end of where we could have finished this season. It's probably fifth or fourth. We weren't the third best side in the league. You know, we were. There were a lot of sides in that league who we were kind of quite close to. We were, and we had some really good performances to get over the line. And so I think for me, it's kind of like a fantastic leap forwards. I think there's a lot of work to go underneath the the surface in yeah. terms of like just building it out, building the 
you know, the recruitment, etc. And I think it's important we're not complacent. And we think that just because we finished in the playoffs this season, we're going to stay there next season because there's a lot of good sides in this league. And I know that Notts County Wrexham are going, but underneath that, you know, you're going to have all but one of, I mean, well, obviously if County go up, you're going to have Chesterfield, Woking back in this level. You're going to have ourselves. You're going to have Oldham, who yeah, are going to Oldham strengthen. You know, and then the Gateshead, size, Gateshead, Gateshead. So like, the I point, thought Altrinum, I thought Altrinum, it's got better as the season went on. The, the, the point is, to me, like, it's just about being really grateful for the season we've had. And then like, just, you know, again, for me next season, if we can, I'd love to, I think playoffs should be the ambition next season. Yeah. But we shouldn't get carried away. Um, but off, listen, off the, just off the pitch, what you're saying off the pitch, I think that's that, that's a huge win for everyone. Like people have fallen back in love with Barnet. People want to go to games. People want to travel up and down the country, and people are looking forward to next year. And we're going. We're going to go to pre-season for the first time in how God knows how long, and know the starting eleven before we've even. We'll know. Some of the yeah, we'll know some of the players before. Um, so yeah, just. Buzzing, absolutely buzzing for next year. Well, guys, thanks so much. That's been the, the first part of the show. We're going to take a brief break and then we'll be back with part two where we'll get into uh, looking at the players, some of our highlights, picking our team of the season uh, and much, much more. So thanks for joining for the first part and we'll see you very, very soon. on the inside, ulcer on the outside. Footsteps tap cool. Hello everyone, welcome back to the second half of the episode. So we've done a breakdown of the season so far. We're now going to get into a bit of fun. We're going to get into creating our team of the season, some awards. Uh, we're going to get into rating the players and then looking forward to the season ahead and some stuff off the pitch. Um, but the first thing we're going to do is we're going to go through the squad and um, give them a grade. Now as a teacher, I'm going to lay out some ground rules here, guys. It's going to work on a scale of A star down to uh, e okay you can have plus and minuses in there you're allowed one u which is going to be the dunce of the class uh, so think collins john for those of you who uh, remember and you're only allowed one a star so you're only allowed one kid who is top of the class uh, so the player that you think has had the biggest impact okay um so we'll get into this first of all we're going to start kind of and, and work our way through positions um i'm going to ask each of you just to First of all, state your grade, and then we'll get into a little description why. Cool. So remember, you're now one A star. Um, I'm going to start with Laurie Walker and Charlie. I'm going to give Laurie Walker an A. Okay, Mem. I was going to give him an A as well, and I'm going to give him an A as well. Charlie, let's start with you first of all. Yeah, he's just Mr. Reliable. He's a shit house. Uh, he's no, he knows. He's one of us. He's one of the fans. And what you said earlier about us underperforming, I think Laurie Walker has saved us on many occasions. I think he's made the most saves in the National League. Uh, so yeah, he gets a solid A from me. Mem? Yeah, for all the reasons that Charlie's just given. Okay, well, his dad will be very happy. That's a very solid parents' evening for Mr. Walker. <laughs> um, we then uh, come on to, we're just going to pick players who have played a, a reasonable amount of games for us. We're going to go next on to Danny Collins. Uh, Mem, first of all this time. Uh, I'm going to go A minus. A minus, Charlie? A. Okay, I'm going to go with an A minus as well. Let's start with yourself, Mem, first of all. I think Danny Collins has been a, 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 a very important member of this team. Um, not just in the fact that he's a brilliant one-on-one one, one on v one defender, it's the the intelligence and the flexibility in that 
sort of as we discussed earlier in that flexibility of of, of formation he was able to flip between playing as a right-sided centre-back to playing as a right-back and carrying the ball out of defence. Um, and in some, some cases, he'd suddenly end up in the box and things like that. So um, I think he's had a phenomenal season. And to be honest, I'd be surprised if by the end of the summer he hasn't been snapped up by somebody else in the league. Charlie? I think he's reliable. Still got a lot to learn, but I think he's reliable. He's got an unbelievably good footballing brain. Um, he's very skillful for a centre-half and I have my pure trust in him when he's on the ball. Yeah, I, I agree. He's also the only footballer I know that's put up an Instagram post with the hashtag summer reading and it's got a copy of The Economist and Scientific American on there. So that, if that doesn't say anything more about his intellectual capability, <laughs> then nothing does. Okay, uh, so moving on from uh, one D in defence to another, we're going to go to Mr. Dominic Ravan. Uh, eight appearances this season, um, no goals. Uh, Charlie? I'm going to give him a C. Okay, Mem? D-minus. Oh, man, we're seeing the first bit of sort of divergence here. So, uh, Charlie, make the case for the C. The reason I'm giving him a C is because uh, I think there's some... If we're going to go by this, you know, the student analogy, I think there are some students who are, are clever, right? But they're, the, they're the clever, but they don't revise for their exams, but they still somehow blag a pass. <laughs> and I think, that's Dem, I think that's Don Revan. I know he's got it in him. I know he's got it in him, and I think he's blagged the pass just because I know the player he can be, but I don't think he's I don't think he's done much revision this year at all. And poor poor attendance. Poor attendance, yeah. <laughs> poor attendance. Bunk bunking off and hasn't revised, so he get he gets a C. Go on, man. So interestingly enough, um with him, I thought the one of the first times I saw Don Revan he was playing left back and I can't remember who it was against, but he was unbelievable. And I was like, We've got a player here and then he was injured the next game. And and so and that's been the story of the season. That was Western Superman in the FA Cup. Oh, was it really? Yeah, yeah. It, fourth qualifying round. Yeah. It was. It was unbelievable. It was just physical. He was quick. He was into the tackle. There's something actually we've not picked up on, and I think a lot of people didn't pick up on this. Dean Brennan said in one of his interviews about the fact that he had players in his changing room who played in academy system, driving into training with really really smart cars who'd been through that system, and I think a few people hadn't he fell under the radar. I think he was referring to Dominic Revan, the fact that he'd been through that academy system and he quite hadn't worked out how he was going to adapt the rest of his life now he wasn't in that um, Premier League environment. Um, and I wonder whether or not there's been a real, you know, behind the scenes, what is the, what has been the, the, the transition? The shift, yeah. Yeah, and how he's managed to adapt to that. And I wonder whether or not he's struggled to adapt to that. Well, a bit uh, sorry to interrupt you, Charlie, but I was saying perhaps making a sort of similar analogy to perhaps on like Flanagan, maybe, who again was like really highly raised at Crystal Palace but has fallen out of it. Before I come back to you, I'm going to give him a C minus, so slightly lower than yourself, yeah. but not so much for the reason that I think he's been poor. I think it's just the reason that he hasn't been available as much. I actually think he could become a really big player for us if he if he stays fit, and it's a big if. But I think he is adds a huge amount of pace to our back line. I think he's also suffered from being one of the players that's a little bit surplus to requirements in the system that we developed. Um, but ultimately, Akimo's not going to be able to play you know, as many games next season, I feel. It's the same level as this season. So I'm going to give him a, a C-, minus, but with plenty of room for improvement. You're going to say something else, Charlie? No, all, good. all good okay we then come on to um, a, a new starter kid who moved schools halfway through the year uh, our very own wizard Finley Potter Charlie I'm going to give Finley Potter a B 
Mem? I'm going to give him a B plus. Ooh, I'm going to give him a B as well. Let's start with yourself, Mem. Go on. I just thought he's, he's, he's fed in effortlessly. He's clearly a very good footballer. Um, and it's really, it's kind of heartbreaking and quite cruel that he's, he's been pretty flawless most of the, uh, pretty much all the season. And the one game where he has a bit of a wobble is against Bournemouth in the playoff for that first goal. But aside from that, what he, what I thought has been amazing about him is he's been, he's, he's, he has bought into that flexibility and he plays one minute, he's left centre back, next minute he's a left back. And he just, and at some points he's played as a right centre back. Yeah, right back. And so, right back. And right back. So he's come and he's, and, and I'll tell you what, those sort of players, Barnet fans will always love. They come on, they come on loan and you don't know that they're not your, they're, they're not your player because they come and they, they've come to play and they, and they give it everything. And I think Finley Potter is, is real credit to himself. Mm. Charlie? I saw Finley Potter's debut in February when I went talking away in the league and I think he got announced the night before and I thought, 18-year-old oh, coming from the championship to play centre-back in the National League, you know, I was a bit sceptical. I knew from the first header, I went, we've got a player here. And I think when a player comes through an academy, they have that, they ooze that bit of class because they, they teach differently in academies and you can tell that. Um, sometimes I forgot he was 18, 19, I think he's going to go on to have a brilliant career. Um, I think we'll see him in the championship uh, at some stage in his career, uh, maybe into into his early mid-20s. Yeah, I think like amazing impact from a guy on loan, incredibly young. And I think of all the positions to play young, like centre-backs where you just get most exposed and, you know, he gets a bit of criticism for the goal in, in the playoff game, but he hasn't put a foot wrong apart from that. He's contributed some vital goals at the right end of the pitch as well. Um, and I just think a massive asset and yeah, really, really wish him well um, with his career. He's been a, an absolute privilege to watch and I really do wish him well. I think the be there for me just because he hasn't had enough time to make the impact yeah. uh, that he would have liked. So we then come on to uh, a student who we didn't think was going to be present much, but has been pretty much every present, every lesson, every week, every minute he's made it count. And that is Mr. Jerome Akimo. Uh, are you going to deploy your A-star here, Charlie? I'm not. But he's getting an A and he's also getting a free pass to become the headmaster when he retires. <laughs> so he's, he's, got, he's got more than he bargained for there. Yeah. Uh, go on, please, man. I'm going an A as well. I'm tucking my A star in my pocket for a bit later. Okay, I'm going to go with an A as well. We're, we're all agreed on this, but Charlie, give us a quick rundown on, on Jerome. Just Mr. Consistent, Mr. Reliable. Dean Brennan wasn't wrong when he says he gets a 7.5, 8 out of 10 every week. Never seen him make a mistake. He's just completely dominant. Um... Yeah, I've got, I've got, I can't say a bad word about the bloke. He's, I've been unbelievable for us. Man? So smooth. He just doesn't seem ruffled ever. He, he, and the thing I love about him as well is, again, going back to the whole fluidity, he, like, you know, that it was just like second nature to him. One minute he's a left back, one minute he's a left centre back, one minute he's in the middle of the centre. He's, play, he's played across that back line and he's moved, and in some games he's played in all the positions. So... I just did not expect him to get this many goal, uh, this many games under his belt because he's. I mean, he hasn't played at this level for years, and he's he's been incredible. Yeah, I think he's just a, a huge asset. And I was, I, mean, I fully admit, I was a bit cynical and skeptical when he first arrived. I was thinking, okay, great, we've got a player coach in here. We had another one with um, Connor Smith, and you're kind of thinking, right, you know, are we actually going to sign some players. Um, but he's been outstanding, and I think the way he reads the game is fantastic. I think it's really positive I just you know there will be a drop off at some point and um, I think hopefully we'll be able to manage 
the the system on which he plays well so it shows his, his real mm. strengths because I feel that like with a lot of our players in a different system they would either be a lot better Harry Smith or mm. um, you know a, a, a lot worse perhaps okay uh, we then come on to uh, the sort of largest student in the class in terms of vertical height uh, and that is uh, Musa Diara um, the friendly giant uh, came from Woking and uh, has played 20 games this season scored one goal uh, Mem, what are you giving Moose? I'm really torn on this because on one hand, I'm torn between a D plus and a C minus um, because there are caveats in this. From actual performances, I'm going to go with the C minus um, and also, incl- and I'm going to incorporate the caveats in it as well because clearly he is, he's, his, his season's been decimated by the fact he had long COVID. And I think the anticipation was that he would be a more important player for this, us this season than it has. And it, I think only there was he's missed big chunks of the season just because his his body has not been able, not not been ready for to play the sort of football we want to play. But then there's been games like Southend away where it, it was unbelievable, mate. And it, that for reason, I, for that reason, he cannot get a D. Well, that's why that's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm saying. The performances. So C minus for me. C minus, Mr. Casson. C minus. I'm so close to giving a D, but he's he's got. A D. I'll give him a D. I'll give him a C minus. Just for the South End game. Just for the South End, yeah. You don't. He's, he's a Mr. Nice guy, and I love him as a person. But you know, this it's ruthless. This business, these exams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I, I'm going to give him a C. I I, I think uh, he did what was asked of him, and I think you can't ask much more than that. And to be fair, he you know he fulfilled a role that we really needed to fulfill, which is someone who was dominant in the box. Um, but long-term, I think, probably not the right option there. Yeah, yeah. Now, we're going to come to, a, very briefly, a couple of students um, who joined the class a little bit late. One of them has got a reputation for throwing missiles around the room, um, and that is Jordan Cropper. Um, Charlie, let's start with yourself on Jordan. I'm going to give Jordan Cropper for his eight games. Was it eight games? Yeah, so let, for, for Jordan and, and uh, Fernandez, we're just going to do the amount they played rather than their impact on the season because it's but not... For his eight games, I'm going to give him an A. An A? Yeah, for I mean, Jordan Cropper. Jordan Cropper an A, yeah. I think we're going to diverge on this one. Uh, Mem? B minus. Okay, Charlie, give us your A first of all. I just think he came in at a time where we desperately needed someone out wide. Um, I can't recall him putting a foot wrong in that I think I saw I must have seen him in maybe six out of the eight games he played I can't recall him putting a foot wrong uh he gave us a weapon with his throw he gave us a weapon going forward and he was completely solid um whilst he was you know defending so I can't I can't give anything lower than an A um just based off that Mem? I just think Buffman B minus is a good score I, I just the thing is I'm, I'm I'm basing mine on the fact that um, he he was he's, he's had a really he had really solid eight games, um, but I would you know if I'm going to give my A's I'm going to give my A's to the ones who've done it over the whole season. Fair. So. I th- I think with Jordan I think um, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually go with you on a B minus. I think very effective, very solid. I think <clears throat> was slightly exposed by the Boronwood goal on uh, the second goal where he was just outrun by Ida Samney. Um, uh, but I think, you know, in terms of what he brings in his throw, uh, you know, it's a worthy successor to the Sam Muggleton school. Uh, I'm going to leave out Fernandez just for now for a small impact in the interest of time. We go to Ben Winter, the head boy. Um, now, the head boy was also a head boy at another school, but he transferred to our school because it's slightly better and there's less seagulls. Uh, so, Mem, let's go to you first of all. Um, Wince. 
I'm going to go for a B plus. Oh, interesting. Okay, I'll come at you in a moment. Go on, Charlie. B minus. Okay. Men, why the plus? Because when he was good, he was a real asset to the team. Um, I think if he... And also, I think what, what basically meant he didn't get an A is um, is the fact that he was out for quite a big chunk of the season and the fact that he didn't start very quickly. But I thought the period that he was on his game, he was a big part of the reason why we why we were going up the table. Okay. Uh, Charlie? I had... There was so much hype about him and I've been let down. I saw glimpses of what he's about but not enough. Uh, I hope I can, this time next year, I hope I can be giving him an A or maybe even giving him my A star. Yeah, I think he has basically been a victim of just never actually quite getting out of that injury run. I think he was slightly injured at the start of the season from what I seem to remember. There was an issue with him in pre-season and I think for that reason, a B- minus just on the impact side of things. Um, Sam Beard is our last defender. So Beard is perhaps one that's a little bit more polarising on the list. I'm going to go to Charlie first of all. This time last year, Sam Beard would have got an A from me. Um, I still, me and my brother have this argument every week. My brother hates him. I love him. I agree he hasn't had the best of seasons. I'm going to give him, I'm going to give him a solid, solid C+. <laughs> the more you say solid, the more I think it's solid, Charlie. <laughs> uh, Mem? I'm going for D+. Okay, so we're quite similar. I'm going to go with a C minus. Charlie, tools three, C plus. First of all, I just think something. I don't know what's gone on. I can't put my finger on it. He hasn't been the player he was. My brother didn't come a lot last year, so he's only seen him this year, and he can't understand what I've seen. I do feel like last year's Sam Beard is in there somewhere, waiting to come out again. But I don't know. I don't quite know what's happened this year. But I, I know he's got something in him. I mean, I think to be honest with you, I think a big part of it is the the fact that we've looked a lot better with wing backs rather than full backs. And I think he is a better full back than he is a wing back. I know he's very, very good going forwards. Um, but ultimately, in a wing back position, you have to get tighter to the wide player. Yeah. Like you have to because you've yeah. got those three men in the box. And I think one on one defending, and there's more odors on him. Put, you know, shutting down crosses. I know you play three five two at Dorking, but I just feel that he's been slightly exposed there at this level. Mem, what about yourself? He's become a target. He's become a target for uh, for other teams. Other teams are, uh, see him as the weakness, and you can tell that. You, you can always tell who who the, you you know. You let the the opposition will tell you sometimes where your weaknesses are, and they always target him. And I think one v one defending, as you made said earlier, is been really poor. Not very good at stopping the crosses coming in. But there's there's still time for him to pick up. And as I said, I think it's important that we don't overreact and overcorrect. I'm not sure he'll be here next season. Do you not think? I just I, by the end of the season, I felt like Dean Brennan had lost faith in him, and um, I feel that if if, a, if 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 we can get somebody to take him off our hands, I could see Dean Brennan trying to upgrade in that position. Um, interesting. I, I, I don't know. Right, let's move on to the midfielders then. Uh, so uh, a wider range here. Uh, we're going to start with Marvin Armstrong, the fastest centre midfielder I think I've seen at Barnet. Uh, Charlie, grade for Marv. Give him a B minus. That's what I was going to give him, B minus. Yeah, I'll give him a B minus as well. Uh, Charlie, wrap this one up for us then, go on. Uh, just, uh, he's got, he's, he's got a lot of potential. Uh, he wasn't meant to be used, like Mem said earlier, he's played 29 times, he wasn't meant to be used that much. Never played at this level before. Uh, I think when he comes on, he shows what he's about. Um, there's a lot, there's a player in there, there's a hell of a player in there. Um, 
And I think, yeah, we, he's just got to continue to grow and we'll see the best of him in, in hopefully a few months' time. Yeah, I think that's pretty much echoed across the board there. Okay, on to some potential potential candidates for our Golden Boy Award. Harry Pritchard, the first one up. Could this be the one where we all go on the A-star? Man, what are you giving me, Harry Pritchard? I've got my hand in my pocket and I'm pulling out my A-star for Harry Pritchard. Charlie? It's an A-star for me. And it's going to be an A-star from me as well. Um, let's spend a little bit of time on Harry Pritchard then before we look at some of the others briefly. Uh, Charlie starts off. I could, I could sit here. <laughs> I could sit here all night and speak about... We could do a Harry Pritchard episode. I love, I love him so much. He's one of my favourite ever players I've seen at Barnet. He is our big game player. He's our man of the moment. He's our engine He's the one who keeps everything ticking. Mr. Reliable turns up every week. Goals, 13 goals from midfields. Outrageous. Um, I don't ever, I want him to end his career at Barnet. I don't ever want him to leave. What a po- what a signing that was. Honestly. Before I come to you, man, it's 13 goals in the league. He's also, he's a clutch player. Like two goals in the semi-final against yeah. Gateshead and then one in the semi-final against Boreham. Yeah. Like what a guy. And that bottle, to take that penalty at Gateshead as well after you know Gorman had missed the last couple and to take that knowing we had to score that to give us a chance and then to turn up and do that in the last second and Wildstone away legend yeah. men what were Eastley thinking they've had a nightmare they've had a proper mare I mean they must be looking at each other going we, we've been scouring the league for a, for a goal you know a guy who can score more than 10 goals for midfield and we've just literally presented him on a plate to Barnet I, I, I don't know one thing I would say is his leader I mean, if if we need to, if the game needs to get needs to be taken by the scruff of the neck, Harry Pritchard's typically at the centre yeah, of it. Hundred percent. He's a threat from set pieces. He's a threat coming into the box late. Um, he's a threat from long distance. I mean, he has scored all types of goals this season. Um, it, what a player! I, I I love I love him as well. I want to say as well, and I don't know what effect this will have on Gorman on the rest of the team, but I think Harry Pritchard should be our captain permanent captain yeah I mean I think interesting I, I don't know about that because I think to some extent perhaps not having that responsibility frees him up a little bit to focus on his own game yeah. but let's come on to Gorman then uh, another player who was picked up from a side who have done far worse without him um, than they did with him uh, Mem Gorman A minus Charlie B plus I'm going to go with an A plus uh, he was very close to getting my A star um, let's start with the B minus first of all, then Charlie, and then me and them can make the case for a higher one. I like I like Gorman, right, and he is a key player for us. However, I think he's slightly overrated. Slightly overrated. There's times where I f- he he wasn't. Yeah, I don't know. I think he's just Mister. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to. I'm not going to say anything bad about him. He's, he's just, sort of a good grade, right? For me. He, got, he's not, he yeah. got a great grade. He got a great grade. I just think he's slightly overrated and he sometimes... What made him not get an A for me in, in the B plus instead was I feel like he sometimes aimlessly just um, does the hero ball for the sake of it and also like puts it into areas without even looking. But if you're going to put it into areas without even looking, it's got to be a good area. And I feel like he doesn't put it into good areas when he doesn't look. Fair. Mem? So I remember we had discussion... Um, in the in the past, where where we talked about the fact that Barnet needed to be better in dead balls, and that basically that you win your games in your boxes, 
And for a long time, we haven't had anybody who's been able to deliver a ball like Del Gorman. And I think he's, he's, he creates a lot of uh, chaos and panic and also goals. A lot of goals have come from Del Gorman set pieces, be it free kicks, be it, um, be it corners. So for that reason, and also the other thing as well is... Up there with, I mean, Laurie Walker surpassed him with the shithousery, oh, but, yeah. but but Dale Gorman's a shithouse too. Yeah. So that that as well, and it's in certain games when he starts shithousing, unless uh, Middleton's refereeing the match, um, he generally get you know helps us out with that as well. I I think for me all of the above uh, in terms of the positives. I think the, the other thing is that the for me South End away was the reason when you realize just how good he is uh i think his use of the ball is very very efficient i think he uh his positioning is fantastic he's not the biggest most physical player but his reading of the game is excellent i think he his form suffered a little bit as he got the injury i don't think he ever fully shut that off and i think the running into the ground you know sort of did him a little bit um as well playing in that system constantly chasing off the balls but i think We've relied so much on leadership and experience and nous to get through games. I think he's been a huge part of that. Yeah. Um, will he, is he one of those players where this is his best season in a Barnet shirt? Um, maybe. Maybe it, maybe it is. Maybe we do need uh, you know, some extra legs in there or something different in there as we were talking about perhaps a, a Bostock or someone who could regulate the template a little bit more. But, but Gorman's been fantastic for what he's brought to us and he's exactly what we needed. Um, so on to a couple more then, just in that midfield zone. Kean Flanagan, uh, 12 appearances, no goals, one yellow card. Um, let's start with yourself, Charlie. What was the one before you? Uh, e. E minus. E, E minus. Uh, Mem? E. <laughs> okay, I think, yeah, unfortunately for, for Kean, it's going to be an E here as well. I mean, without wishing to kind of wish in on the guys always seem to have tried really hard when he played but Charlie what just I guess one of those signings that hasn't quite worked out it's just a passenger it's a passenger he's not good enough he's not strong enough he's not technical enough it's just yeah he's not he's not a nationally player in my opinion um, I actually disagree on a lot of that stuff <laughs> <laughs> I actually think he's I think there is a really good player in there I think the problem he's had this season is he's had injuries he can't he can't stay fit and when he has got fit is that you've got quite clearly the pecking order is Pritchard, Gorman, Haviland, and he needs a run of games. He needs a run of games to get his rhythm, get his form. He is a he is a he is a playmaker. But the problem is playmakers don't just switch it on and off. They need a bit of rhythm. And I think the problem with him is, is he won't get that with us. He might need to drop down a level, be a first team regular to come back up again. There is a really good talent in there, but it's just that it's just that he doesn't. He, he's not going to be, but it's not going to be a Barnet. Clearly, I think he's a, a technique. I think technically he's good. I just think he, as you said, he's a passenger to some extent. He doesn't, he doesn't influence games enough. Um, I think, ironically, again, it's about finding different sides for different players. Like someone like Gateshead or whatever, he could be quite a decent player. Like where they they really do focus on keeping the ball or a Dorking or a side like that. But yeah, for me, just not quite, not quite the right fit. Not really a ten. Not really an eight. Um, yeah, unfortunately, hasn't worked out. And yeah. Wish him, wish him all the best. Um, on to a technician that has had much more of an impact, and that is RDH, Ryan de Havilland. Uh, Mem, let's start with you this time. I've, I was thinking ahead of this. I'm torn on this one. I think I'm going to say B. Um, and I think it's been a solid season, but I think that there is a lot more to come from Ryan de Havilland. Um, there has been moments of the season where his his technical technical superiority has really shown, but then there's been other points points of the season where you just don't see him and he doesn't influence the game enough. So it's a frustrating one. Charlie, 
B plus. Go on. Uh, if he continued how he started the first half of the season, I think he would have got an A, A plus maybe from me. But um, he uh, he didn't continue it, and he gets lost in games quite often. I find uh, and struggles to get back into the games once he's lost from it. So that's why I give him B. But I do think he's got a lot to lot to come from him. We may not see it, but there's a player in there. I think he did provide the best moment I've had all season. We'll come to that later on in that, that yeah. win against Boreham yeah. Wood. So I'm going to give him a, a B plus as well. I think uh, one of those players that I think would actually thrive at a higher level, bizarrely, like because I think the National League is just, there's so much of this bits and pieces and scrappy second balls and stuff like that. But um, I think his ability, his passing is outstanding. Mm. His ability to, to control and pass the ball is is really a different mm. level. And I can see why there's a lot of interest from higher clubs. Uh, On to a player who's, passing perhaps isn't of the same level uh <laughs> sam woods uh i think a bit more of a polarizing one here we might we might find ourselves splitting up on this one go on charlie d minus mem c minus yeah i'm gonna go with a c mem let's start with your make the case for for, for woodsy passing because this is a pass fail we got here really between ourselves and charlie go on i just I think he's been a squad player this season, and there's and and it, what he, he's done what he's been asked to do. I just think he's just limited player, and I think he's a big guy who can win the ball, who can is a presence. But I just for me, he's not mobile enough, and I don't think he's technically is um he's he is of a high enough standard to be playing in centre mid. Um, but clearly, Dean Brennan trusts him, um, and. You know he's he if he he wants he's he's offered him a new contract so makes sure, you you know he clearly wants to he thinks there's a player in there. Charlie, anyone I've given below a C, right, a fail as it were, I just think I shouldn't make the cut and they're not good enough. He's just not good enough. I'm I, it's harsh. He's not good enough. I'm comparing him to we finished fifth in the league, right? We want to finish in the top seven again next year. So I'm comparing these players we've got to all the other players I've seen come to the hive in top seven teams and the players above us. Woods is nowhere near any of them. Nowhere near a top seven player in the National League. I think, yeah, I, I think there's a. I think it depends on his role, right? As a starting player, I agree. And I think the thing that frustrated me as well was the red card against Chelsea the way where I felt that was dumb. And I think actually testament to the fact that he's not as quick off the mark as he should be. I think two things for me. One, whether or not he could evolve into playing a centre-back, a bit like Sweeney. Because I think that Sweeney wasn't good enough. I think I see a lot of similarities between the two of them in some ways. Where I mean, Sweeney was better on the ball, but like Sweeney couldn't hack centre mid, but he could play a decent role at centre back. Secondly, he did a pretty good destroyer Rob job on Rodriguez, and I think a lot of his best work is very difficult to notice because it is basically marking their best player out of the game. South End marking Cavamali out of the game, uh, Notts County marking Rodriguez out of the game. Uh, and I feel he did that. He's done those jobs very, very well. And I can see why Brennan likes him. And if he's not on a huge amount of money, I can see him being a, a safe option. But yeah, I, I respect I respect the fail. I respect the fail. Uh, okay, final. You can, have, you can have a retake. You can have a retake. A retake. Last chance <laughs> retake. Next season, you can do a retake. No, yeah. uh, we're going to leave out Connor Smith, uh, although he is getting an A from me for his scrap with Garrard. Um, but we're going to go on to a couple of other players. So two players, uh, interesting at different ends of their careers we're going to start with Courtney Senior uh, came in 13 appearances one goal um, Charlie going to give him a C plus go on C plus he's not really been given a full opportunity to show what he can do he's not had a full pre-season um, talking talkie away the same debut as Potter Courtney Senior came on and played on a wide right of a 4-3-3 and was 
just sensational. Blew the blew the fullback apart. But the times I've seen him come on in the last few weeks, he's sort of come on and gone in the in the middle in a sort of roaming role across. And that's just he's electrifyingly quick. Like get him out wide. Get, hug, hug the, I want him to hug the touchline. I'd love to see him and Canu in a four three three, like you know, hugging the touchlines and have them on the wings. Um, but yeah, I've, I, I can't give him any more than C because yeah, he's not had the opportunity to showcase why he should get higher than that. Man, give him a D plus. Man, this is very harsh, man. I've Courtney Seniors failed. I haven't, I haven't <laughs> failed hardly any players. Courtney Seniors not a fail. No, apart from the first game when he came in and he went past that player and he dinked the goalkeeper, I was like, oh, we've got a player here. It looked like we've got a player. And then ever since then, I've seen him just been so underwhelming. And I think he, I just, he, he's, he's one of these players I get the feeling of is that when everything's sunny and rosy, he can he he'll, put, he'll do all his tricks and do everything he will. But at the back in the season when we were digging out of points, I just felt like he was a bit of a passenger. Um, and against Bournemouth in the playoff, he was he came on and he did absolutely nothing. When you want to change the game and you need somebody to basically do something, he got got bullied. And 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 I just felt that. Um, yeah, I just I'm not sure. I'm not convinced that that he's going to be around um, for the whole season. I, th- I think that I, I think uh, potential in there for a decent player. Um, I think a C. Rob Hall, twenty-five appearances this season. I'm shocked at that, which I'm very surprised by. Are you sure that's not a typo on the Excel sheet, man? Well, hey. his name is because Ben's called him Ryan Hall on here. <laughs> <laughs> that's a D for men. Then. That's a D for D for men. Uh, that has surprised me. But anyway, go on, please, Charlie. Rob Hall. Oh God. Gonna give him a B, a B, B plus, B plus. I, I hear the hope in your voice there. Yeah, it's as a B, you, it's a B plus. If you prepare yourself for a moment to give him an F, then what are you gonna give Ryan <laughs> or Rob, as he should be called? <laughs> I am a really big Rob Hall fan. Aren't we all? Says so such a big fan that I called him Ryan um, on the form, but. Um, I, I'm torn. I'm torn on this because we've. Well, if you fail him, I'm walking out. We've, we've, we've barely saw. We've barely seen him the back end of the season. Times. We've barely seen. The thing is, what? I, yeah. See, I really believe in Rob Hall, and I really think that he could have. There was a lot of games towards the back end of the season where he could have done something, and I also feel as well that in games where. If we're playing with Harry Smith up front, why wouldn't you play Rob Hall out wide? Because he's he's got the best left foot for delivery in the whole team. I'm going to give him a C minus, um, mainly because I, I want to finish this podcast and don't want Charlie to walk out the door. <laughs> <laughs> Although it's a long walk from Hitchin to Bournemouth, um, so. Uh, but yeah, I, I I just I feel sad because I, f- I feel sad for Rob because I feel like he um, could have offered a lot more in the running, and I feel like for whatever reason, um, it, it was called um, Dean Brennan lost faith in him. I think I think to be fair, it, it's just injuries. That's yeah. what it is, and and so for me, it's a C, not because of him, but because of the impact he's had. One goal all season, and that goal was a stunner. It was a stunner, Probably. but but it's it's still it's still not not enough really no. um, for one of our highest. I'd imagine wherever wherever wages. he goes, if he does go somewhere to play, they're very lucky. Yeah, and I, I wish them all the best. And I think obviously another guy who's been positive behind the season I think last last season would have been a, an A what do you just really really quickly but you know Oxford City are in the South playoff final against St Albans got a feeling if Oxford City go up 
he might go Oxford City because he lives he lives around there, doesn't he? He lives in around Oxford Way, and that's where he does all his coaching and that. So Oxford City could be a good move for him. Mm, there we go. Right uh, onto the front line. I think a real split here of grades. It's a row of five lads across the back, and you've got your golden boys, and you've got your ones who perhaps are not quite as golden. So you've got a, you, you've got one you allowed, Daniel Powell. Battle of the years, yeah. <laughs> Let's go with Charlie first of all. Are you going to play your no, year? Man, man ready to say it. Man was ready to say it. Go on, man. Right, I'll be, I'll be shocked if this is not an, a unanimous you all the way around the whole table. Uh, it's a you. It's a power, yeah? Yeah. A play was... No, 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 no. No, no, no. You said it. I need to retract it. No, you said it. This ain't chess. This ain't chess that you put your hand on the piece and you've got to play it. You've given the grade. No, no, no. No, no. I've actually realised I've made a big fat error. Okay. And I'm going to... I'm retracting the U. And I'm going to make it an E minus. Okay. Charlie? E minus. Yeah, E minus. I mean, again, I, I'm not. We're not here to to, to hammer individual players. Um, <laughs> we're not. We're not. But, but no, we're not. We're not. And, and that being said, the guy is 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 not fit enough to, to play professional football. And that's all there is. Some of things. <laughs> I think. Look, to be fair to to be fair to Powell, I think he was one of those players that. If I'm being honest, you look at the profile of his sort of player that was very, very good at sort of 10 years ago at Milton Keynes Dons, where he was a lot quicker and he was had the habit of being quick and tall, which mm. meant he could cover ground quickly with his stride and also had the advantage of pace. Injuries have not been kind to him and his career is, is unfortunately, for that reason, a professional game in my view over. Because like... He, without that that yard of pace and without that ability to impose himself physically on a game, yeah. he can't do... You know, he's, he's not up to it. I agree. I think... Again, nothing against the guy personally. And I think actually the time he did come in and do a decent job in the Notts County game at wingback, he wasn't terrible. I, I, genuinely, if someone had said to me before that game, you're going to go and watch 90 minutes of Daniel Powell try and mark Aaron the man out of the game, I'd be very worried and I'd, you know, I'd want a, a refund. Um, but actually he, he did that task well. But, you know... Willstone as well we did a good yeah, job. Yeah, Willstone as well. Although to be fair, I think they were, they were at that point that they weren't great. But I, I just feel that, yeah, he's not quite at the level. And I don't think there's... There's much more to be said apart from no, that. Not a chance. Uh, okay. Right. Next, we move on to uh, Nikki Kabamba. Um, another close shout for my A star, but I'm going to go to Charlie first of all. A. Can you give an A plus? You can give an A plus. A plus. Mem? He'd have got an A plus if he didn't have that tail off at the end of the season. He's an A. I think actually, for me, he got an A plus, and part of that plus is because he was willing to sacrifice himself to accommodate Smith. And I know that sounds you know, strange. I know he had that tail off at the end of the season and that was significant. But how many strikers at this level would, and, and think about Barnett players in the past, think about your McLeods, you know, obviously Akinde, less so of his profile, would be happy being shunted out wide to make room for a new player. And I thought he gave his role absolutely everything. I think his tail off at the end of the season was... In the same way we talked about the Smith thing at the start, not necessarily his fault. He didn't change his game necessarily. Um, I think he's a, a phenomenal hold-up player of the ball. I think in some ways actually he's better at holding the ball up than Smith is. I think better, Smith is better win, winning the first ball, but the second <clears> ball, <throat> his movement is phenomenal. The Chesterfield game was, I think, apart from maybe some of the Akinde games, but even then, probably the best display of finishing I've seen from a Barnet striker. Mm. Um, you know, for a long, long time. 
That one, the um, one on the run, where he hits the outside of the foot. All, all, all three, mate. I mean, I know, you know, I think one of them was inside the box, but like the third one was phenomenal. Yeah. But that was a game where you realise, that was basically the difference between, and their fans said it, between Joe Quigley and, and a, you know, it between a, a really decent striker and not. And um, yeah, I think just a huge asset. And I think it's very difficult to overstate how hard it is to play as a, essentially a lone striker as he was for a lot of the season in a side that doesn't have much of the ball. Um, and I thought he was phenomenal. And I think, yeah, a real asset and a lovely guy to boot. Um, Charlie, what, what, any thoughts yeah, on Yeah, just brilliant. You look at his record before he came, it's so easy to sign a player and go straight to their Wikipedia and look at the goal record. But, you know, he was playing out wide for play- teams like Woken and Northampton and stuff. And he's he's come here, never scored more than, I think, eight in a season at a professional football level. And then to score uh, 19 in 43 league games, it's an incredible return. And yeah, like you said, that Chesterfield game, I think was the most complete performance from a single player this season. I think it was fantastic. Man? Yeah, definitely. I mean, one of the things we did when, when he first came along was we did our YouTube scouting on him um, and we did a bit Y scout actually on him. And it was quite clear that the big thing that for him was playing through the centre, playing through the centre and let him roam. And when he was roaming, it, the knock-on effect, and that's the thing, the knock-on effect of Cabamba in form this season meant that all the people behind him, the cavalry, they all benefited from from his his play, his movement, his mobility. And it's just, it's, it is sad. It is sad that things didn't, you know, that, that we had to change the system that meant that he couldn't play the way he, he is most effective at. Uh, yeah, agreed. Uh, just on, on Smith, we talked enough about Smith today and, and you know, leaves the club with our best wishes, but just a grade rather than a huge discussion. Um, Charlie, first of all. For who? Smith? Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to give him an A for his, for his stint he had with us. Mem? I'm going to give him an A. He, he, he did what he was brought in to do. Yeah, I'm going to go with an A there as well. And that leads to our final two players. So we're going to start with Mr. David Moyo. Uh, I'm going to go to Mem, first of all. Okay. I was very hasty. This is where the U needs to come in. Okay. Uh, Charlie? The two players we have left to grade are Idris Kanu and Moyo, and it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know where my U's going. <laughs> Same here. Um, I think 16 appearances and one goal is one side of it. But we've had strikers that have been decent for us and not scored. But... Nothing but a real disappointment, I feel, uh, Charlie. Uh, he's got no, he hasn't got, sometimes, as I was saying earlier off air, sometimes you have forwards who uh, have one attribute at least. They might be rubbish at everything else, but they're quick, or they're rubbish at everything else, but they're strong, or they're rubbish at everything else, but they're good in the air. He, he hasn't got one strong attribute that, to his game. I don't think he's a good finisher. Not good in the air. He's terrible balance. He's not the quickest. Not the greatest touch. I mean, he's he worked. He's worked. He worked his socks off. That's all I can. That's all I can give him. And I and I can't question the effort that he put in while he wore the shirt. It's it's not his fault. I just don't think he's good enough. And I'm absolutely flabbergasted as to how he's contracted at a football league club. Yeah, I I think um, agree. Nothing wrong with the guy. Lovely guy, actually. Really nice. Always made yeah. time for the fans. Top guy. Um, We'll miss seeing the Zimbabwean away flag yeah. in the uh, in the away in Surrey, but um, just yeah, you, you, the record, but also some of the chances he's missed. And I just felt that when he was on the pitch, we were just much less effective going forwards. Mm. And I think to be fair, like the comparison with with obviously with the, the other front players, Carney, Kabamba, and Smith is obviously means that it's going to stand out even more. But 
Um, uh, it would have fitted, I think, more into that sort of Ben and Williams side we had, you know, two or three years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mem? I just, again, echoing Charlie's point, I don't know who he is as a player. You know, you know, it's, it's, you know, like when you look at a player and you go, that guy is a target man. That guy is a off the shoulder striker. What, what is, what is David Moyo? It's, a, it's an existential question. That's the title of a book. <laughs> Who is David Moyo? No, no, what is a David Moyo? It's, 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 it's around the fact, it's like you said, for all the reasons that you said. I, so he had a period where we had both Harry Smith and Cabambra injured, and he had three games, I think it was three games where, or two and a half games, where he, was, he had a real chance to stake a claim for his place and show us what he could do. And I, and I, and I came out of those games going... What has he actually done? And I looked at it and I thought, we looked completely toothless. Um, the, the movement, I just think to myself, his movement is not dangerous. Um, and I'm trying to work out what, you know, how is he at this level with movement that is so poor? And I just, and I hate, to, I don't want to slate him, but the problem is I just, it makes you wonder. And obviously, clearly Dean Brennan decided, because there was periods where Dean Brennan didn't even put him on the bench. Um, so it, clearly Dean Brennan's looked at him and gone you know what I don't know if that's his what, guy what are the odds on Moyo being picked up by Maidstone or not Maidstone but whoever it is like Ebbsfleet next season is scoring against us well like an Effield type player yeah uh, very high he won't play uh, in National League no. he'll get released from Barrow and he'll go to the no, South no. I think last player Idris Carney now here's a fun fact about Idris Carney 11 yellow cards which is the same combined as Dale Gorman and Laurie Walker wow the two biggest shit houses of this team. I know. Uh, this is a tough one. Charlie. This is a tough one. Don't look at me like that. I've got my, re- <laughs> I've got my reasons for it. Are you still feeling guilty about dorking away? No. <laughs> <laughs> you should quickly tell that story, by the way. So, dorking away, dorking away, I was stood in the terrace and Canu ran down the wing with the ball, I think, and didn't deliver it. Did a few step overs, turned back the other way and lost the ball. And I can't remember exactly what I shouted, but I said something along the lines of, oh, for fuck's sake, Idris, what the hell are you doing, you muppet? Or something like that. And a woman next to me, lovely lady, looked at me and went, Oi! And I went, are you, are you related? And she went, that's my boyfriend. I went, oh, God, I'm so sorry. And then I, there was about a five-second gap, and then I went, I love him, really. <laughs> <laughs> and we do love him. We do love, we, him. We do love Did him. Did you retrieve the situation? I just sort of like, almost like put my arm on his shoulder and went, oh yeah, we love it. Just, and then later on, when, when he was running down the other way, I was like, go on, Adrian! <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I saw her again at Maidenhead and apologised. Yeah. I, I bought tennis, she was stood behind the goal and I like sort of waved and went, as if to say, you know, I won't be, I won't be slagging off your boyfriend today. Yeah. I'm going to give him... There's reasons for it, but I'm going to give him a B minus. Interesting. All right, Mem. <laughs> I'm giving him an A plus. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm giving him an A plus as well. Let 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 you make the case first, Charlie. Okay. Perhaps go on. So he's an inc- he's the reason I've actually given him a B minus is it's actually a testament to him because I think he's unbelievable player and he's a perfect replacement for Mason Clark. Like you couldn't have picked a better player to replace Mason Clark. The reason I'm going to give him a B minus is. I think for all his skill, for his all his pace and for you know his balance and the way he gets us up the pitch and the way he gets us out of situations, I do think he needs to seriously, seriously improve in the final third. Um, 
which is why I've given him a B minus. I feel like he gets himself into such good positions, such good positions. Uh, he'll either do too much and lose it and get himself a booking. I, I guarantee you, three quarters of them bookings have been come, come from him losing it and then having to run back and flicking someone's leg or pulling him back or something. Um, he's an incredible player. I love him. He's amazing and I hope we keep him for ages. I just want to see more from him in the final third, which can give, let, make me give him the A+. So he's the, he's the kid that you know is going to get a really good degree, but clearly you're trying to get him back on yeah. the... Yeah. Yeah. Tough love. Exactly you give that. him the same grade as Marvin Armstrong. <laughs> <laughs> Did I? <laughs> yeah. It's all written down, mate. All right, I'll get... No, no. You locked it in. Right. In the same way that Mem locked, locked in his year for uh, Powerly. Yeah. Go on, Mem. Or do you want to make the case or do you want me to make the case for, for, for Carney? You make a case and I'll chip in. So I think for me, I think a few things. First of all, a couple of kind of caveats I'd add to it for the A+. I think a, B, a plus sorry, A. Sorry, B minus. No, no, no I'm, I'm just saying this. It's, it's, it's interesting. Obviously arrived late to the, the squad. So it wasn't bedded in with that whole thing. Was absolutely pivotal to the change of system that completely transformed our game. And if you look at a couple of things about his, the, the reason, I think he's definitely got headroom, you know, um, ceiling to develop, right? His ceiling is very high. And I think you're right in regards to the fact that he's not like a player where you could look at him and say, this guy is performing at the peak of his abilities. Yeah. Harry Pritchard is performing at the peak of his abilities. Yeah. Like, I'm, you know, great player, but he's not like, oh my gosh, he's going to go on to play League One, right? Carney, you could easily see him play in League One Championship. A lot of people used to say the same sort of things about Mason Clark in terms of like final delivery. Yeah. But a few things, or three big things. First of all, the system he's been required to play in, he is doing a huge amount of defensive work. Yeah. He is defensively solid. I'm not saying that he's like, you know, you said those sort of yellow card tackles, etc. are still in there, but he's a huge, very good at getting back, getting back in shape. He is fouled relentlessly out of games. Like, and people just double up and they, they clatter him so many times off the ball. And I think that has had, he's got to learn how to manage that better. He's got a sort of little bit of a stroppiness sometimes to him when he doesn't get his own way and understand the frustration because he's not getting things that are obvious fouls. But that's another big factor into why I think sometimes he, his decision making isn't quite where it needs to be. And the second thing is he's, he's being doubled up on quite a lot as well. And I think that's having a big, a big impact on his output. 38 appearances, eight goals, uh, including some unbelievable strikes as well. You think about the Wrexham game and, and some of the other strikes, even in the playoff semi-final against Boreham Wood, that strike cutting in. I think he's got to add a little bit more to his game in terms of going around the outside. I think he cuts in a little bit too much, but again, that's something he can work on. Uh, but if, if, you, if you said to me, you're going to lose Mason Clark. Yeah. You know, which obviously was always going to happen. We've gained, who's now actually, Mason Clark was so good, he's gone on to become Peter was player's player of the season. So not the supporters on the player's player of the season. And we've got someone who has actually made us, in part, a better team. I'm not saying that Ephraim, you know, who knows what will happen with Ephraim. I think that for me is... Mason Clark never scored eight goals with us. Most Mason yeah. Clark scored in the season was seven. But that, that just goes to the point, yeah. right? So I, I, for me, Carnu. Look, obviously things he can improve. I think yeah. hits the deck. He needs to learn how to manage referees better. I think that's a really important thing he needs to do. He needs to learn how to go around the outside a little bit better. His decision-making will improve, I think. But again, his tail-off in form and decision-making tailed off when we were struggling anyway going forwards because we had Smith and Kabamba and it wasn't quite working out going forwards. For me, unbelievable asset. Yeah. Signing of the season in terms of mid-season signings and probably the highest value player we've got on our books at the moment. Mem. I'd agree. I just... I, the thing I love about him the most is his personality. I love his will to win. Um, yes, he does frustrate me. Um, so is did Ephraim. Um, he has got, he's got 
elite potential. He has got the ability. It's just whether or not he can put it all together and get and just improve on the bits he needs to improve. But when it comes to his finishing, is very decent. Um, but uh, yeah, like like you said earlier, the work ethic to the and the defensive work that he puts in is not. Look, look at the look at the, actually look at the contrast between Idris Kanu and Sean Shields, and look at the desire to defend between the two players. Both of them very creative players. Both of them very forward thinking. But Kanu is the one that it busts the gut to get back, and I think that's the difference yeah. between why he upgraded Sean Shields. The final point I'd say on this as well is that with often like players like Efra and Idris, like because at the, a club at our level, we're looking to them the whole time to do something. Like every single time we had the ball with Efra, particularly last season, we would be like, do something. Like the, the game plan was literally give the ball to Efra and see what happens. They're, they're going to fail far more times than they succeed. And so it does become frustrating because every single attack we have naturally breaks down with that player because they're the only player carrying forward the ball because there wasn't anyone else apart from Efron last season. I think this year it's a similar thing with Carney on those counter-attacks on those away games. He was at some points the only player that was carrying the ball through the thirds. And so when it did break down, it was a lot more obvious. When someone like... And the Havlin, again, I'm not having a go at the Havlin because I think he's a great player. When he goes missing and get and kind of did go missing in some games but the having goes missing in games you don't get frustrated at him in the same way because you're like he's not actually on the ball as much it just always shows for the ball he always wants the ball he always wants to make things happen and i feel that for me that that is a huge asset to him i do get the frustration with him i understand why you've gone with you know a grade lower than an a plus easy a b minus i'm gonna go not, this, not, b minus not, is not. harsh having heard your both your points i am harsh <laughs> i've just frustrated him but it's a testament to him because i know there's more in there b plus would be more fair from my side b plus fair enough okay well we've gone through uh, the squad there guys we're going to move on to the final two parts of the show in the fast 20 last few minutes or so we're going to give out some awards uh we're going to give out some awards now chal i believe you've got the awards written down uh on your phone so do you have to want to take the lead on this section and and just talk us through uh the awards and how we're going to hand them out Cool, so the awards are uh, best player, young player, most improved, goal of the season, game of the season, and unsung hero. Um, and we're each going to go round um, and doing it, yeah, do it, doing our uh, version of who, who we think deserves the awards. I mean, to be honest, I think the first one, player of the season, is probably Pritchard for all three of us, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think we've said enough about that. Best player, Pritchard. Yeah. Uh, let's go young player, Ian. I mean... We haven't got that many young players, uh, so or we've got a few, but not as many as, as some clubs. Um, I think the standout candidate for me is Carney. Um, I think honourable mentions for for uh, Collinge, who I think I'd still classify as being quite young. Uh, but for me, Carney, yeah, for the reasons I've just gone into, would be my young player of the season. Mem? Mem? I would say Finley Potter sneaked in there. I think a lot of people put Ryan de Havilland, and I would say that Ryan de Havilland over a season has been very good. Um, but I think Finley Potter's come in and he's been unbelievable. So uh, he would he would sneak it. I actually voted for Ryan de Havilland in the in the sports association, but since then Potter has played more games. I've I've gone Potter as well. Uh, I know he only came in in February, but I think because he's so young, he's eight, he was eighteen when he signed, and he's just been brilliant, he's miles ahead. Uh, and also, I didn't want to mention uh, Ryan de Havilland and Canu because I have. Mention them later on in the awards. So you, you're, 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 you're spreading it out. Yeah. Can I just point out that both your logic behind it has been the younger they are, the the, the more likely they are to win the award. So in <laughs> theory, in the theory, you'd have like you know Dean Brennan's son, like you know <laughs> James like, Callan. James Callan like yeah. would be the winner on your logic. Anyway, we'll, we'll, um, we'll carry on. Most improved player. Man. 
I'm actually going to go for Ben Winter. And only, only on the basis, what? only on the basis that when the first ten games, it was it was terrible, and then and then and then he got better. So uh, it terms of most improved, I'm thinking about it from the bar. Yeah, that's the first time a most improved award has been given to a player who's only played one season. <laughs> well, the thing is, most of these players have only played one season. How many players have played two seasons? Not, many, not many, to be fair. They're, they're all one season players. But you, I can't, I can't believe you're giving like he. That's bananas. But he's he's, like, he's not even played a full season, mate. I'm, I'm, I'm basing it because I'm looking there and thinking who has really started like maybe Kabamba has improved from where he was at other clubs okay but this is a different I think across one. the season there, there hasn't been a young a player that's come in like two seasons on the trot and, had, and has had an improvement over two seasons because yeah. most of this team was built in the last summer that is fair I, I would grant you that I, I'm going to go for De Havilland because he just has improved the most from last season to this season, and yeah. I think that is almost an objective fact. Yeah, I've gone, I've gone, I've gone to Havilland as well, just because he's better than he was last season, <laughs> as in the award most improved. <laughs> I didn't say Ben went improved during the season. Mm. <laughs> uh, goal, goal of the season, Ian. <clears throat> Mate, uh, it's a tough one. So, like, I think technical goal of the season has to be Carney's at Wrexham, like on a technical level. But for me, that. Was not, there wasn't a nothing goal, but it was like I think we were seven four down at the time, so it doesn't really make a huge difference. Um, I think moments of the season, the two biggest like moment goals of the season for me, the Pritchard goal away at Gateshead. I think I was standing next to you at the time. I think I've ever celebrated a goal in must be kind of twenty five years now supporting Barnet. Never celebrated a goal as much as that, and I just thought I just remember like. Just madness. Men crying. Just, ma- I was in tears, mate. Yeah. I was in tears. Just the scenes. It was unbelievable. And I just thought, at that moment, it's just like one of those moments where you're just, you travel up and down the country. And, and for me, I know that obviously what happened afterwards did spoil it, but that was that was amazing. Um, the other one, for obvious reasons, was to Havilland's goal against Boreham which I think will probably be my favourite. I was there with my whole family. And it was just an amazing moment. It's the first time the four of us have been to a game, my brother, my mum, my dad, and myself, in about five or six years. The four of us have managed to make it, and yeah, it's just a special moment. Nice. Mem, goal of the season? I'm, I'm torn, because there's two Idris Kanu goals in there. One was the, um, the was it Oldham away? Where, yeah. where we went past, where, yeah. which went past, the obviously, Kanu Wrexham, Kabamba at Chesterfield. Yeah. Out to the right foot. Um, but I'm going to give it to Ryan de Havilland for the last minute winner against Bournemouth because it's, you know, last minute winner against Bournemouth and it was... It's a phrase we hear a lot these days. Yeah. And and the fact that, yeah, it was just, it was, and the scenes, um, I think I blew my voice out that night as well, just like screaming. Yeah. I've got to go Canu Wrexham just because it was a screamer. Must have been 30, 35 yards, 30 yards. Um, we'll see it on Disney Plus. Yeah, we will. It was a very ridiculous did, strike. Didn't Harry Pritchard almost score like one from 40 yards or did he score from 40 yards? I remember there was one game where he scored a, a long ranger and then he tried another one on the volley. Was it on the volley? From about 40 yards? Yeah, I, I think I remember that game. I think it was like a, it, I think it was as close as we thought. I think it looked close. I can't remember. But yeah, it was, yeah, oh, they wonder, it, would, it, looked, it looked like it could have been amazing. Game of the season. So I'm, I'm, I've written down a few reasons here and I'll put this to you as well. So, Gate. Okay, I've got three answers. One of them is performance-based. One of them is the game you've enjoyed most in attendance. And um, the other one is just like a crazy game. You might not have had one, but I'll I'll start just so you know. So the best game of the season for the neutral and the craziest game I went to this season was Dagenham away. It was just just 
bananas. Like 2 0 up, 2 2, 3 2 up, 3 3, 4 3 down, 4 4, and then lose 5 4. Like, I've never been to a game like that. Um, so that's the craziest game. Performance of the season for me is Chesterfield at home, um, the 3 0. I think it was the most complete performance, unbelievable result. Um, and the best game I went to, the most enjoyable game I went to in terms of everything was Oldham away, probably just in terms of the, the day out and how iconic that football club is and how iconic the stadium is and the fact they were a founding member of the Premier League and little old Barnet went there and, you know, blew their blew their heads off really and got a clean sheet and three points. It's so interesting because I think we're going to, I'm going to end up having, it's actually testament to how great the season's been that we're going to end up having three different, or I'm going to end up having I think, three different games. So yeah. I think the most bonkers game uh, for me, was Chesterfield. Uh, was um, Gateshead apologies in that trophy because that was just mad. Yeah. Like, and I think you had everything: the three 0 down penalty in the second minute, like another penalty, ninety plus twelve, like just a madness. And it was like topped off by being in like this weird stadium, yeah. like there's no roof, but there is a roof. Just the whole thing was surreal. I think performance wise, like, Chesterfield was a great shout for me. It was Southend away, nice um, because. Again, it was like another one. I was with a couple of good mates in the away end, like, and it was just really fun. And I felt actually it was a time when I realised that we were able to change games that were sort of getting away from us. And yeah, it was a really big game for them. Great mate. result. Great result. After what they did to us at home as well. Yeah, I thought that was just, again, for that reason, like a real yeah. a real transformation. I think the most enjoyable game um, is a really tough one. Like, I'm looking at it now, but I actually am going to go with a draw and we were with a Notts County game at home and because I thought we were tactically spot on and I thought we we actually it was the first time like I went to the Notts County away game and I remember speaking to you both I think when I was outside the ground I know you weren't you weren't there but we were yeah. talking about the game we were 1-1 and then we lost it 4-1 but the first 60 56 minutes we were so good but this time like Brennan got it spot on and I just thought we were running a team ragged in the second half who her to my mind the best footballing team in the league um, but it's just amazing that we've got so many other memories. There are oh, so many other ones as well. You know, like Maids, uh, Maidstone Away was was fantastic as well. Um, yeah, Mem. So, uh, remind me of the criteria. So, uh, craziest game you went to, best performance you saw in the season, and uh, what was the other one? And then like, the, the um, like kind of like most enjoyable. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I would say the craziest game was obviously Wrexham. Um, Seven five, um, I would say my favourite game actually, similar to Ian's, is the Notts County. I really enjoyed that game. I thought it was fascinating. I thought it was real fascinating, and I loved the fact that we went that we had a real proper game plan, and we had, um, yeah, and we should have won it. And I actually we rattled them properly, rattled them. I mean, you could just t- tell by the beast. Pipes. Second half, we were unreal. Yeah. With the amount of replies we got from Notts County, they were properly rattled um, by that uh, by our performance, and so uh, yes, yeah, so that was my favourite. Just so because watching us, it would have been lovely if we'd scored because then that would have been amazing. Um, and then the last one was that most enjoyable. Enjoy- well, Bournemouth home win. It's got to be last minute Bournemouth home win. That's got to be the most. That's enjoyable. crazy. We've we've come up between the nine the, different games, like yeah, eight essentially because we both went to the yeah. Notts County. But that's that's an unbelievable thing. I mean, I think that's just a testament to this season yeah, we've yeah, had. Yeah. Um, final part of the show, then, guys, we're going to have a quick look at the retained and released list, um, which has come out at a reasonable time this year. For the first time in in many years, we're going to have a few players. I'm just going to run through it for the pair of you. We'll have a quick chat about it. I mean, players under contract: uh, Ben Winter, Connor Smith, Courtney Senior. Danielle Collins, Dominic Ravan, Idris Carney, Jerome Akimo, Laurie Walker, Marvin Armstrong, Marvick, Michael Phillips, apologies, Moussa Diara, Nick Kabamba and Sam Beard. 
a few of those might move on. Um, it, obviously, then options exercise on, on Gorman, Pritchard, De Havilland and Granville. A few of those might move on. Obviously, a few kind of like asterisks around the coaches in terms of Akimo and Winter. But any particular surprises there, uh, Charlie? I'm surprised that uh, Rob Hall was released. I know it was coming, but I still am surprised he went. Um, do you mean from, do you mean from the, the retainers? Yeah, I was going to say from the retainers first of all. Anyone, anyone that you think... I mean, I guess you you would naturally say perhaps Woods, but I'm sure, I know they're contracted, but I still think there's a I think there's three in there that we're not going to see. Uh, I think Michael Phillips will be off. I think Diara will be off, uh, and I think I think Don Revan's going to be off. Okay, interesting. So I think yeah. there will be a bit of change there, Mem. So I think Sam Beard's going to be off for that. I would. I've got a funny feeling that, but bearing in mind that there was an element of hope from Brennan that Daniel Powell would at some point spark into life. I think he's, I think he'll have, he'll give Dominic Revan at least up until Christmas to get a few games together. Cause I think he knows he's got a talent. He's got a talent there on his hands and I think he'll give him a chance until Christmas. I think Phillips will probably, they'll try and find him a club. I think Diara, I don't think he can last season. And I think Beard, I think Beard's going to, going to be, on if somebody comes in for him yeah I think it'd be interesting I mean we just don't know but uh, I would you know players under contract tend to stay um, unless there's something strange going on uh, and then I guess with the the releases obviously Powell, Loza, Cannon, Flanagan and Hall with the exception of Hall there a relatively straightforward list just a final point there on the loans expired Fernandez we haven't spoken about as much but Moyo, Potter, Smith and Cropper Obviously, we're assuming that Smith will go on to a, an EFL club. Of the ones that we could get that we would want to get, um, Cropper is probably the only one that stands out there, um, potentially Fernandez. But Charlie, first of all, Jordan Cropper, we spoke about him in the, in, in the sort of discussion of it. Is that a, a loan that you think or a potential move that we should perhaps consider? Uh, I think we sh- could consider it. I, I think it's unrealistic. Uh, I think he's a northerner. He's from up that way. Um, I think he'll probably be looking somewhere geographically a bit more, you know, northern. I think the most realistic sign in there is a season-long loan for Finley Potter. That's what I think the most realistic is. I think he's 19 now, right? You've got to look at it. Sheffield United have just gone up. He's not going to play in the Prem next year. The only option is if is if the Sheffield United think that he can do a job on loan somewhere in League 2 or League 1. Uh, which is not out of the realms of, um, you know, uh, a possibility. I still think he's, you know, he realistically, he was only here for 11, 11 weeks, 12 weeks. Yeah, so he only played, I think, it was about Exactly. So I, I, I personally think as a 19-year-old, I think a full season in men's football in the National League would be perfect for him now. Um, so I, I think that's the most realistic one and the one I'd like to see the most. Um Fair. Mem, um, just any final thoughts on that in terms of, you know, those those loanies? I think Charlie makes some really good points. And to be honest, I agree with uh, pretty much all of them. Um, I can't see... Um, I can't see many of them coming. Finley Potter is an outside chance, like you said, for the reasons you said, is if Sheffield... Apparently, Sheffield, we've got... There's a link with Sheffield United and Dean Brennan. Yeah, I'm just sorry to interrupt you there, then, but also, like... Boreham Wood have got a few of that Sheffield United thing. Someone was saying, I think Broadbent and and Brunt have both come from that. So the point, the point more is obviously got the link, but also they're not averse to sending out players for season long loans to the National League. Yeah, yeah. 
one thing I would say is that if we were going to look at at um, a season long loan, um, Bush Bush at Bournemouth is a loan player. If I'm not wrong, no, um, he's they signed him from Bromley. They signed from Bromley. There wasn't a, so is he not the same guy I'm thinking of? There is a there is a player I can't remember who I've seen this season and I've just I've gone blank who played against us it was class and. Um, and he's basically he's, he's he's on loan from like a Premiership club, and he was unbelievable. And I could have sworn he was Bush. No, um, no I think Bush there is, there there is, is a, the point is there's options out there that we yeah there is there us. is and there's a guy who plays in a lower I think in a lower team than us who potentially is, is somebody we could go for. He's a left sided defender. I've forgotten his name. I wish I knew remember his name. Is it Ben Richards Everton? Not the part the partner. La Pata no from Woking Southampton. But he'll be off to the AFL. Yes, that's right. There's no way we're going to get Lapata. Yeah, he's just left working, isn't he? Yeah. Okay, final um, discussion point then, guys, in the last five, ten minutes, is just we talked a lot about on-the-pitch stuff, um, and rightly so, but a kind of quick review of the -the off-the-pitch stuff as well. Um, It's been a a real change uh, in many ways, and actually, I remember doing a podcast with you both, I think back in October, where we were off the back of the York defeat, where I think you you said, actually, Charlie, you think you left midway through that game, yeah. yeah. Um, to To a... a stage now where we've made a, a semi-final and a final on the pitch. Off the pitch, we've had the two-for-one season ticket offer. We've had an increase of 400 uh, people on average on the home gate. Um, we've seen the new Amber Battalion sort of pick up the role of creating an atmosphere inside the hive. We're going to discuss next season in a separate podcast in the next few months. But off the pitch, Charlie, if you were to actually go back to the grading system we had, what would you give this season off the pitch? I'd give us a B. Go on. I'd give us a B uh, because I still think there's may you know we shouldn't we're in the honeymoon period of change. We can't get carried away like it's not changed for good. It's all well and good having a good season off the pitch, but it's got to carry on. We're going in the right direction for sure. Um, stuff you know the match day experience improved slightly as well in terms of the drink and food you can get. Um, much better atmosphere at games. Uh, Amber Battalion do a great job. You know, we've had some great ticket offers, but we've got to continue that. You can't just do that when the fans are asking for it and the fans are pleading for it. You've got to push through with it and continue it. And as long as Dean Brennan's at the helm, I think we will continue to do that because he's a huge believer in, you know, uh, togetherness and, and the fans having a connection with the players and staff. Man, what about yourself? Yeah, I'd say a B. I mean, having spent last season at the Sports Association there was a lot of frustration frustrating things going on around the club and I think this season's been a lot more I mean even down to like the Sports Association the club's provided a PA for the end of season awards I mean I, I, I hosted them with Nick um, last year and we couldn't couldn't get any get where we had no there was no microphones there was no PA no nothing so we had to we had to shout and um, and then we had that random situation with Ben Rich Severton thinking he'd won an award because he didn't hear properly. Uh, this year, we had proper proper PA. Actually, there's more people in there. There's more people in the bar. There's a lot more engagement from the fans now. Uh, the Amber Battalion is, you know, we've got Amber Battalion teams get bigger every time. Every time it's literally a fully fledged battalion now. <laughs> it's going it to become the Amber Legion, and then like the Amber like infantry. I mean, you, before you could just about fill up, you know, one of those little, uh, fill up a tank with with, with them. Now, now it's like they, you know, you know, you know, they they probably send a rush soon. Yeah. I mean, as the years go by, though, we're going to hear the songs go down the octave slightly because they're all like <laughs> they're all but about fourteen. To be fair, then like fair fair credit and like delighted that. I think we on 
by men managed to put some money towards their flags and stuff, which was great because I think they, they're doing a great job. Yeah, um, totally. The hive of solar, you know, it's, it's good. They've got cool. some atmosphere. And, and, oh, yeah, just want to say as well, we want to know your name, Zambit Battalion. You know, you come on your Twitter space and you don't won't give us your name. We want to know who you are. We want to know your name. It's actually yeah. an undercover fed from uh, <laughs> a I, I, just, I just remember I just remember Charlie saying to uh, the fella, oh, no, we're not the police. Not the police, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, no, it's great. It's great that that's happening. Just before we finish, just a couple of final questions I want to touch on, if that's all right with everyone. Um, and just first of all, a huge thank you to everyone who's been listening all season and, um, you know, been giving us some fantastic questions. I've, tr- I've been going through them as the, as the pod's been going along and try to cover as many of them as I can inside the show. But just a couple of kind of quick fire ones now. Um, first of all, from Trevor, which game defined our season and why? So I want a very brief answer, the game and the reason why. I'm going to start with Charlie, please. So Trevor now, is it? Yeah. All right, Trev. Um... I'm going to say, I think you might be going to say the same one here, man, but I think Southend at home, the 3-0 defeat, I think that was the defining moment, the loss. We got t- we got tore, tore apart by them that night, absolutely tore apart. Um, they outsung us, they out-supported you know, supported us, they outclassed us tactically, uh, and I think Dean Brennan went away from that game and learned a lot of lessons, and that's subsequently when our you know, form and, and fortune shifted. Uh, so I think Southend defeat was massive this season, yeah. Mem? Yeah, Southend was a pivotal game. I'm actually going to go with the Maidstone quarterfinal. I think that game and that thing, uh, thing, penalty shootout, turned the season from being a good one that could have fizzled out into an amazing one. And I think it cemented Laurie Walker's status in yeah. Barnet folklore. So yeah. for me, I think that, that stands out. Um, okay, thank you very much, uh, Trevor. He's also said just on there briefly, um, in terms of players that surprise you the most, I know we've gone into this a little bit, but any player that surprised you the most, Charlie? This season? Yeah. Akima. Yeah, I was going to say Akima as well, Mem. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I think for, for, yeah. for reasons there as well. John Lewis um, asked, what was uh, Brennan's biggest mistake of the season? That's a really interesting question. Without a doubt, prioritising York over Gateshead and not starting De Havilland and Cabamba. Just, it just, I don't think, I love Dean Brennan to bits more than, you know, him and Curry, I absolutely love more than any manager probably we've had in my lifetime. But I don't truly, truly, truly think Brennan understood what that meant for us and how long we've been yearning to get to Wembley. And York away, we lost anyway. So it didn't actually, it didn't actually matter. Mem? I would say, um, Last 30 minutes at Bournemouth. Well, I think he needed to make a big, brave call. And I don't think he made it the brave call they needed to. I think he needed to decide that, you know, this is not working. And after Pritchard scored and it looked like it was, we needed another goal. I think he needed to rip it up. I, uh, yeah, I think I'm, just because I think it's almost impossible to, with the exception of County, to beat Bournemouth mm. once you've got a goal behind. Um I think I'm going to go with Charlie on the Gateshead game. I just felt that that was just a gamble. That I know why he did it. Can, yeah, I know why he did it, and I don't blame him for doing it. But it was a mistake. But it was a mistake. And, that, and in yeah. hindsight, yeah, I'm sure yeah. he would change it. Uh, and then last one from uh, John. We answered this question about low knees. Why were Gates relatively low? And that's an interesting one because we didn't actually set out that that playoff quarter final at home to Boreham Wood. We've obviously had the two for one season ticket offer, which I think has been a really positive thing in many ways. Um, is there anything else that perhaps we, we could do? And we'll get onto this more for next season about building a buzz there or is it a case of perhaps this season being where we're reawakening some of that fan base that we've lost a little bit and it will kind of kick on in the future I'll start with Mem first of all I, I see I look at I look at the Bournemouth one and being that 
a lot of you've got to remember a lot of our fans live don't live in London anymore. That that, that is all, that is a reality of the fact that we. I mean, look, we, we're, we're talking, we're, we're doing this from from my place in Hitchin. So the reality of it is, is that Barnet is one of the most expensive places to live. So the people who grew up in Barnet end up moving out. So we have supporters all over the place. And I just feel that actually the time between when we knew that we were going to be at home and the game probably wasn't enough for, for people to change their, all their plans around to get to the game. If that was Wembley and it was on a, you know, I guarantee everybody would come out of the woodwork. And if it was Notts County, I guarantee we would have gone there, filled out the allocation. But because it was a Monday night and it was, uh, well, no, it was Tuesday night. So it was a Tuesday because it was a weeknight. And a lot of fans just couldn't get to the game and it was just not enough time to do that. I think, but was it three and a half thousand people? Yeah, three and a half thousand. So still, I mean, the gates have got, are gradually going up. So I'm, 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 I'm not convinced that things are all that bad in that respect. Uh, Charlie? Yeah, it's, it's a tough one. Um, we've just lost a lot of, we've lost a lot of supporters in the last 10 years from the move. And I don't think we've gained uh, as many as we'd hoped. But the only way to get fans is by results. So the results, this does no coincidence that our average has gone up this year. We finished fifth and we've got 400 more average attendance. So, you know, it's only going to get more next year and hopefully get some more season tickets in the bag. Well, guys, it's been a, a monster pod. Uh, you know, Charlie's uh, nodding there. I feel like we've been in a hitching for a week. It's <laughs> um, not that bad around here. Yeah, but we'll be back, uh, I'm sure, uh, in the next few months just to talk through the pre-season and hopefully have some good interviews coming your way as well. Um, I just want to say on behalf of myself to you two, thank you so much. It's been a great season. I've really enjoyed doing it with you both this season. And to everyone who's listened, uh, thank you so much. Um, and uh, yeah, we hope to kind of continue talking about the bees going forwards and, and hopefully talking about an even better season next season. So thank you, Charlie. Thank you, Rob. Thanks for listening all season, guys. Cheers for the support. And thank you, ma'am. Thanks a lot. Thanks and a lot. We'll see you all very, very soon.